What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you haven't been rocking a Mystery Ranch Fireline pack, well, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you need to be rocking that stuff. They make arguably the most comfortable, the best built, and the best, most adjustable, and baddest ass fire packs in the Wildland game. But not only do they only make fire packs, they make a ton of other stuff. Like these two specific packs that I'm looking at right now, one of them is going to be the Assault 21 and the three-way briefcase. They're both in wildfire black. That's the colorway that it's in. The reason why I'm mentioning these is because one, they're pretty badass. The uh, briefcase makes an awesome crew boss kit, a little go bag for your laptop or whatever, and your maps and all that jazz. If you happen to be going out on a, a mission or an IMT role or whatever that you need a briefcase for. Also, this other one, the Assault 21, makes a badass hotel bag. You can throw all of your uh, personal effects in there. It's got some room for some extra like toothbrushes and stuff. That way you don't have to keep digging it out of your red bag every night. It's pretty freaking rad. But portion of the proceeds from the sales of these two packs, well, they go back to the Mystery Ranch Backbone Series Scholarship Fund. Yeah, so get yourselves one of these packs and uh, definitely support a good cause. And if you're interested in the Backbone Series, what it is, is a scholarship fund and it's telling the story of Wildland Fire and it's bettering you. You have an opportunity to win one of these $1,000 scholarships by visiting mysteryranch.com and applying for the Backbone series. Basically, you're just uh, writing a story, and if it's compelling and it's a unique perspective on wildland fire and what it is, well, you have a chance to win one of these $1,000 scholarships to further your career. So once again, go over to www.mysteryranch.com to find out more. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor, and that is none other than Hot Shot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. But other than kick-ass coffee for kick-ass causes, they make a ton of other stuff, like a ton of wildland firefighter themed apparel, posters, skate decks, you name it, and all of the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. So head over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out. And while you're at it, go over there and check out the the little Anchor Point uh, podcast side of the merch house. That way uh, you can get some of those do rad stuff posters. You can get some of the uh, fire fiend shirts, or you can get one of those band of brothers tees that everybody's rocking out there. So once again, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out. The Anchor Point Podcast would also like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy booze over at the Ass Movement. And why am I bringing this up? Because they are a hilarious little organization and they are serious about stewardship. So the Ass Movement is an acronym and it stands for the Anti-Surface Shitting Movement. Now, I know that everybody out there absolutely hates someone that just goes up on public land and just takes a dump right on top of it. Doesn't even take the effort to bury it or cover their toilet paper or anything. It's like easy. So... The Ass Movement was created as a uh, educational platform that gives back to wildland firefighters, but it's also a great way to spread the word about burying your turds. So if you want the finest in poo burying propaganda, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the Ass Movement, where listeners to the Anchor Point podcast can get 10% off their entire order over there at the Ass Movement by using code ANCHORPOINTASS10 at checkout. So once again, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the Ass Movement. 
the Anger Point Podcast. I'd also like to give a quick little shout out to our friends over at the AWE, also known as the American Wildfire Experience, also known as the Smoky Generation, which is an AWE uh, project. And if you don't know what it is, well, it is a catalog of digital storytelling dating all the way back to the 1940s about wildland fire. And now check this out. It's not even just relegated to North America anymore. It is a global affair. So if you want the latest and greatest from projects or storytelling projects in the field, well, I mean, even in a global context and from across the world, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it all out. They just announced the 2022 winners of the Smoky Generation Awards, the uh, storytelling awards, the grant winners. And it's pretty cool. They're giving back to the um, wildland fire community in a big way. And they're helping funding some of those projects for wildland fire storytelling projects. So if you happen to be a writer, blogger, photographer, videographer, anybody who's telling the story of telling the story of wildland fire, well, your opportunity is going to be coming up next year for one of these $500 Smoky Generation grants. So head over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. Bethany, you have a badass organization over there. Keep it up. The views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. going on ladies and gentlemen hope everybody's doing well yeah wow so uh looks like the monsoons have come and finally region three is kind of like calming down a little bit but now we got region four kind of popping off so we'll see what happens so stay safe out there and stay savage keep your head on the swivel as for the rest of you that are listening well today on the episode we're going to talk about being a badass woman in fire and we're going to get advice on fitness some making some wise career choices and not being afraid to uh, take the opportunities as they come up and following your passion. You'll never know where you land. And for that, I have my good friend, Mackenzie Gould on the show. And she is going to be talking about all of these subjects. And by the way, check out her food page, her cooking page. It is freaking awesome. She is one hell of a cook. Yeah. And she's all super into fitness and nutrition and just being a all-around badass woman in fire. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Mackenzie Gold. Welcome to the Anchor Point. Oh yeah, P.S. She swears like a sailor, so trigger alert if you're offended by foul language. And also her point of view and her experience and her perspective are unique to her and they might be controversial to some. So if that's offensive to anybody, well, don't listen to this. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got my homie, Mackenzie Gould. What's up, dude? How are you doing? What's up, man? Good. Happy to be here. Yeah. So tell us about yourself. So uh, my name's Mackenzie. I go by Kenzie, Kenzie Cakes. A lot of people call me different like things. Mac. That's Mac. a big one, too. I like Mac. That's um, a good one. Yeah. Mac G. 
<laughs> is it uh, uh, so the Kenzie Cakes thing? I've noticed your Instagram says Kenzie Cakes. Is that because you're like super into cooking? I like to tell people it's because I'm a baker. Uh, I got that nickname in high school. Okay. Uh, because one of the guys said I had a big butt. <laughs> <laughs> if we're being honest, that's where it comes from. <laughs> Noted. Copy that. But I always tell people, I'm like, yeah, it's because I bake cakes. Like, because my license plate says it and everything. And people are like, oh, M cakes. What's that mean? I'm like, oh, I'm a baker. I'm a baker. You know? I, I own a cupcake place. Yeah. I'm like, I like to make cakes and stuff, which I do. I love baking. I love cooking. Obviously we're going to talk about that. Some of the food that you take like photos of on your Instagram, I'm just like, Oh God, why? Oh, it looks so good. I want want food. Thank you. This, so many people are like, can I hire you to be my personal chef? I'm like, bitch, I would love to do that for a living. Like, come on. Yo, hit your dog up here. Just saying. I, don't. <laughs> I got a newborn and a 15 month old. I'm sure my wife and I would love that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. That would be amazing for you guys. Mm-hmm. That is so awesome, dude. But I digress. So continue. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. So let's see. I work in fire. I work for Reading Fire right now, city department, municipal. Um, we are very heavily wildland influenced still, which is super cool. We have type three wildland engines. We have uh, two ladder trucks. We have our obvious uh, structure type one engines. We have water tenders, uh, aircraft rescue. What else? That's about it. Um, Got the gambit. Yeah. So we're doing pretty good for only having eight stations. Um, And I've been here for about two and a half years. October will be three years with Reading. before that, I worked for the state for Cal Fire. I was there for five seasons. I did three on a engine and I did two on helitack on the helicopter. Um, I was all out of Mendocino, which I loved. It was awesome. Loved working for Mendocino. Loved being on Howard Forest. Um, I actually did all five seasons at Howard Forest, which was super fun. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of like made the transition, left left there, came to Reading. Um, and it's been a good transition because like I said, we are like heavily wildland influenced. So it's still fun because I still enjoy wildland fires. Um, I still enjoy that environment. I still enjoy going out on large scale incidents and doing that kind of work. So, um, yeah, it's been good just cause I get to go out on strike teams and I get to do shit and still like also do a lot of structure shit too, which is cool. Cause I've learned a lot. So I enjoy it. So you could do like the best of both worlds and you come from engine to hell attack to municipal fire. And now you're a truckie. Yes. And yeah, that's, that's quite the pedigree of a career. That's pretty awesome. Thank you. It's a, uh, it's been a wild ride, man. It's it's like crazy when I say it out loud, I'm like, yeah, eight years, which to me feels like a long time, but you it's said only really eight years ridden. and you've done all this. Yes. Damn. It's wild. It's a, uh, so weird to think about like eight years ago, I went through, it was like nine years ago. I went through, um, what they call the 67 hour basic wildland Academy, which now is like, I don't even know. It's like 180 hours or something, but yeah, it's basically like you go through to a, um, local Cal fire unit. They normally put it on or like some of the, um, academies put it on and you can kind of go and just get like your basic down and dirty 
wildland certificates, which Cal Fire used to hire off of. Um, to my knowledge these days, they're kind of more strict on having like a firefighter in academy right off the bat. But I think you can still get hired with just this one. But anyway, when I went through, I did that academy. It was a month long, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So literally like 12 days or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, graduated that, applied for Cal Fire. And then I got picked up that March. I got told I was getting a job. And then June, I started. So didn't have any fire experience. None of my family's in fire, nothing. So I was like, here we go. And what's funny about that is I, at the time was working at Stateline Brewery in South Lake Tahoe. Serving Ooh, beer yeah. And one food. of my favorite places <laughs> up there. Love yeah. It. Pretty cool. I loved it. And I, uh, I swear to God, it's so funny. People are like, oh, what made you want to get into fire? I'm like, no joke. I flipped a coin between going to phlebotomy and fire academy and I landed on fire academy. So here we are. And I <laughs> went through EMT and these guys that in my class were like, there. I went through, there's probably like three or four of them that worked for Cal Fire at the time. And as we got to know each other throughout, you know, you get to find each other's like interests and personalities and whatnot. They're like, man, have you ever thought about doing fire? We feel like you would like it. You know, you like to be outside. You like to be active. And I'm like, no, actually I've never thought about it. So then, like I said, like the whole flip a coin thing, um, I applied for both, got into the fire academy first. And I said, okay, this is what we're doing. And, uh, went through that, got hired with Cal fire, went through my first season, had no fucking idea what I was doing. <laughs> I don't think like, anybody really does though. When they get into fire, like, no, <laughs> can you get five gallons of rotor wash? What? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, can you go sharpen the blade on the dozer? You're like, Oh my God, I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah. So anyways, you, you kind of like go through all these like trials and shit and you learn a lot. Like I mean, man, my first season was what, 2014, 2015. And at the time, the big fires were like 40,000 acres. And I remember the first day I showed up uh, for work, I showed up an hour early because I was like, you know, I want to be early. I want to make a good impression, like get all my stuff situation, whatever. My captain walks up. He's like, Hey, you're early. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you want to go to a fire? And I was like, sure. And so he's like, put yourself on the engine. We'll give you some overtime. And I was like, tight, making overtime my first day. So jumped on the engine, went to this fire. It was a, uh, the day before it was only like a five acre fire or something in Mendo and get out there. And it's just like hiking around, gritting, mopping up. Um, and I was like, all right, cool. And the next day, I had a, my first IA fire out in Cobolo, which if anyone knows where Cobolo is, it is fucking gnarly. And it was like high speed chase, uh, guns in the van, ditched the van, lit it on fire, started a bench fire off of the side of like a Dos Rios or whatever that road is. And so I roll up and I'm like, okay, cool. This is like the kind of fires I'm going to go to working here. And, uh, <laughs> wow, this so person like, was not messing around, were they? No, <laughs> they never do out there. So it's just like, I, I feel like I got like submersed, like very quickly into it. And it was awesome. Just like um, zero to 120, like snap of the finger. Just yeah, definitely. Going. Yeah. And so, but honestly it was, 
it was a good way to learn. Like it, I had so much to learn, like station life and day-to-day things when you don't have, um, fires or you're not running calls or whatever. And, uh, you know, you just kind of learn like, okay, this is like what I'm supposed to do every day. And this is my routine. And, you know, this is what time we PT and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, by the end of my first month there, I went on my first strike team and my first strike team was like 37 days long. Oh, dang. And, uh, yeah. And I looking back, I'm like, yeah, that's a long time, but like nowadays it's not really that long, like compared to, I mean, I've been out longer than that now, but even compared to some people you see, you're like, holy shit, why did you go out for 60 days? You know? Yeah. And, uh, it's just wild, but shit. yeah, looking back being like fresh, brand new, no idea what I was doing, going out for 36 days. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm along for the ride. Like, this is what I signed up for. You know, I was like, I think I was 20 when I started. That's like perfect though. I mean, it's like you're young and you can just like go out and you have like really no obligations. It's not like you have like a family or anything like that. You started well, some people exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that was like the way that I looked at it too was okay. You know, uh, I'm single at the time had my dog still that I have now. And so it was kind of just like, okay, you know, my parents can watch my dog and don't really have like a whole lot going on. So like, yeah, I'm going to be here for the summer and work and make some money and get my main thing was like, I want to learn and get experience and like figure out, okay, did I make the right choice? Is this what I want to do with my career and whatnot? So yeah, it was rough. Um, for sure, because it's just a lot to learn. And it's like going from, you know, I worked as a waitress for a long time and then I worked in gyms. So like, I never experienced anything like it. So going to that, I'm like, okay, cool. This is like a whole new world. You know, obviously you learn a lot of shit, but yeah, just being gone for a long time and living out of a red bag for that long and just kind of like trying to regulate your life the best you can. And I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Like, I'm not going to lie. There was learning curves. There was times where I was like, fuck the shit. Like what am There's I doing? There's always that though. There's yeah. always going to be that. I still, yeah. Still to this day, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Even yesterday at work, which we will talk about. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you kind of just, you like go along with it and you're like, cool, I guess we'll see if this is what I meant to do or not. So needless to say, fast forward, uh, spent a couple seasons doing that and really, really enjoyed it. Um, had a lot of good fire experience. Obviously the fires have gotten bigger, heavier. Um, more dangerous and more common. Our fire seasons are a lot longer now. So as you move on, I'm trying to think I was a nine month firefighter pretty much every year after my first season, which is like so crazy. Cause even a couple of years before me, you hear guys talking about like, yeah, I was lucky to get six months. And like my first fire season was six months. That was about. like nine if yeah. you're seasonal. It's nine, sometimes yeah. more. Exactly. I, I think I can't remember with my buddy, Jason, he's, he's either Jason or Prane. And, uh, they were saying that they went out on a, a strike team assignment. They're, they're basically living out of the red bag for like 57 days straight at one yeah. point, like last season. It's so crazy. Yeah. It's just like, uh, I, I get it, you know, because like, I still right now can go out and do that, but would I want to? No, I don't. No, it gets exhausting after a while. Yeah. It's just like mentally draining to be honest. And even if, you know, like I being on Hell Attack have worked out at Hella Base, and this is just an example, like 
working at base camp and working at hella base. Um, if you're on like an overhead assignment or something like that, that's not necessarily like super physically demanding, but you're, you know, you're out there for a while and you have to go every single day. You're not getting like a 24 on 24 off or whatever. Uh, if you're with the state, obviously that's like the schedule, but, yeah. um, it's just very different. Like going out there every single day and then you pack on 50, 60 days of that. You're like, Holy shit, man. Like this is a lot. I have to get up at five o'clock in the morning, be there for 12 to 16 hours. I want to see my family. <laughs> yeah. Go sleep, get up and do it again every day. You're like, fuck. Like oh, yeah. that shit gets tiring. It's just draining mentally. Like I said, like it doesn't necessarily have to be physically exhausting. You don't have to be like out hiking your ass off every day. But right, I'm sure you could be in like finance. If you're like a finance section chief, you'd, you'd probably get over it really quick too. Yeah, dude. Yes. And so that's, I think kind of like where I think about things and I'm like, Oh, I'm good. <laughs> I don't want to do that. But, um, yeah. So anyway, it's just like a things, things have just gotten so much longer, like the seasons, like I said, and, uh, you kind of just like wait for fire season to get here every year. It seems like you're just like, okay, like it's coming. And then you don't know when it's going to end. It goes for so long now. Oh, 100%. Um, but like I said, like being a nine month after, yeah, pretty much our first season until I left was like so unheard of. And it was just kind of one of those things where like the first two seasons, I, you know, submitted a resume and like said, I want to stay here. I want to have extra months on whatever. And after that, I didn't even have to do that. They were just like, no, we need you to stay here. That's kind of a common thing though. It doesn't matter if you're Cal Fire. It doesn't matter if you're a fed. It doesn't matter if you're a state agency. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's getting longer and drier and starting sooner, ending later. And it's getting more intense too, and more frequent. Like some of the fires that we're having now, it's just like, even like when I, I mean, I got out of the game when I was in, what was it? Year 11. And that was 2019 when I actually got out. It's actually right when I started this podcast. It was my last year in fire. And uh, yeah, I noticed a, a significant change in fire behavior activity and duration over the short 11 years that I was in the fire service. And then you with eight years of experience, you're seeing the same exact thing. And then Nelda and Ron on episode 100, when they came back on the show, they said that like, yeah, back in the day, like when we were fighting fire on hotshot crews and when Ron was on Fulton and Nelda was in Wyoming, they were saying that a large fire was like 10,000, 20,000 acres. And that was fucking massive. But now it's like, oh yeah, we're pushing a million. Yeah. Mm, when's this going to go out? Never. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, that's what I mean when I say like the first, you know, my first season I went out, like the first fire I went on, I, I'll never forget it. Like the first large scale incident was 30,000 acres and it was in Vacaville. And, you know, at the time, same shit, like that whole summer, it was like 30,000, 50,000, you know, never really went above and never got above a hundred thousand acres. Mm-hmm. And then nowadays you're like million, million and a half, just like last year, the Dixie fire, which despised that fire. I was out there for 27 days with the city, which is like unheard of. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Long which, haul. Yeah. It's just so weird. Like you go, you know, we'll talk about that too, but like just the city thing, like most city departments are like 14 days and you get, you know, here you go, you're shipped off and you're replaced, whatever. No, my department is like, no. And, uh, 
it's just like so weird because it's such a mix of like, in my opinion, and just like having met a lot of people and made a lot of friends and connections and things like a lot, I'm sure, you know, too, a lot of it's very political and uh, it's very upsetting and I do not like it. I don't agree with it. I think it sucks just to like manage a fire like manage the fire the best you can. You can't control conditions. You can't control weather. You can't control fire behavior, obviously. Fuel loading. Like, and it, well, I mean, you guys you could f- control fuel loading, of course, but we yes. need the people to do it. Hmm. Yes, exactly. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, you can only do so much when it comes to those types of things. But like when it gets so political that, you know, oh, we're trying to break this many acres because like, you know, whoever age i'm not going to say any names like whatever agency you work for will pay you so much per acre or whatever it is you know for how much you burn or you know it's the same with like bmp projects and whatnot in the winter time it's like i just don't like it i think it sucks uh not only for the people who are working on the fire all summer long and the people that like don't really have a choice um for being traded out on assignments but for the people who actually live there and like have homes in that area and are depending on you to actually like save their house, save their property, make a difference, put the fire out, like, you know, be there and care and just do your job. And then you have these people in upper management that are not necessarily on the same page because they're worried about other things. It's just super frustrating. And I'm not saying that every fire is like this, but it's definitely a thing that's been happening over the last few years. Um, everybody knows that. And it's just like, no, it's no secret. I mean, I, no, exactly. I, yeah. I mean, I totally understand mo- managing a fire from multiple objectives, right? Like if it's good fire, say it's just smoldering and it's like cleaning up the landscape. It's a nice understory checkerboard burn and it's yes. healthy for the, uh, ecosystem. Then by all means, that's keep it going until it starts to rear its ugly head and then put the boots to it. Right. Yeah. But when you're using dollar signs and reimbursables for land status, as a driving factor in your fire, fire decisions, your fire management decisions, that's probably the day you probably should stop doing that. That's not okay. I mean, it's more complicated than that. And I know that that could be misconstrued, but yeah, I mean, sometimes it happens and I don't agree with it either. Yeah. It's just one of those things that like, I don't feel like it's talked about enough and, uh, you know, it's not, maybe it's not my place to talk about it. Maybe it is like, you know, but well, I'm sure there's also, some stuff behind the scenes that we have no idea. Some bigger picture things that, yes. you know, there's a lot of unforeseen things that we just don't comprehend because we have no knowledge of it. But exactly. like I said, managing for dollar value per acre, that's not a good strategy. Managing no. for ecological benefit. That's a great strategy. And plus these rural communities where these massive catastrophic fires are typically happening on the Wui. I mean, what are they dependent on as far as income for their towns? 99% of the time it's going to be like summer leisure travel revenue. That's what it's going to be. It's tourism. And that sucks for the communities. Yes. 100%. It's very sad to see like, to see towns like that, such like small communities where you're like, I don't feel like this should have been an issue here, or I feel like we could have had a safe here or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. It's like, I just think it's like too common right now. Um, and I don't like it. And I think that if more people got out and saw it for themselves and actually like got out there and hiked the line, 
uh, drove the roads, observed the fire behavior and didn't just like sit there and armchair quarterback. Yeah. Didn't think they know what's going on. And they actually like tried to get out there and see it and care and, you know, think about like the greater good of the citizens, I guess is the best way I could put it and not think about other things. Like, don't be selfish. Just yeah. think about like, this isn't a political game. This is people's life. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it was your town on fire, what would you want? You know, like I would want people to put it out. Yeah. I want them to burn when it's appropriate to burn and yeah. put it out when it's shitting and getting, I mean, that's exactly. just what it should be. I mean, you, this, this is generational damage to our landscapes, right? Like if you take the, uh, the, uh, what, what the fire, the, the paradise fire, right. For instance, right. Yes. The destruction in there or the August complex or whatever, Beckworth, any of these forests, right. The hog fire outside of Susanville. Yes. I mean, if you drive through there now, I mean, it wasn't even more than like a few years ago where you can drive, drive through there down the 44 up to Hat Creek to go fly fishing. And it's just beautiful landscape. And now you drive through it and it's year after year after year of sterilization. It's there's nothing coming back for that for probably a multitude of generations. Like you and I are going to die before we even see any new growth in there. And our yeah. kids are probably going to die before we see any like substantial growth in that forest. Yes. It sucks. It's uh, it, it does suck. It's funny you say that. Cause like, yeah, I was on the hog fire. Um, and that was one of those fires that like, crazy fire behavior. Oh yeah. Uh, for I, sure. I try and tell everybody that like that area, the North, I guess, Plumas, the, the Northern section of forest, I guess that would be the Sierras, like going all the way up to, I maybe, I don't know what's, what's that mountain up there? Shasta, like yeah. going up that area, everybody wildly, wildly underestimates the fire behavior in that area. And I've seen it time and time again. I mean, we've had shit even on like, uh, the escarpment through Doyle, people wildly underestimate the wind patterns out there and you'll have fire running downhill faster than it is going uphill. And it's yeah. like people like think I'm full of shit when I'm telling them this. And we've had multiple burnovers and <laughs> there are things of the past or things that kind of went under the radar because they weren't big advance, but people have died out there and people wildly underestimate that area. The plume is like, Oh man, it's crazy out there. It is very crazy. It's very and the wild last one like, too. to think of, that's a good, the hog fire is a very good example of not necessarily a structure threat. Like there were not a lot of homes lost in that fire, but there was a lot of land, a lot of like, uh, tree plantations and even through like the reprod, like of old, uh, I forget what that old fire was up there, but they had like this massive tree, like reprod area where they're doing a yes. like plantation, like you're saying, where they replanted everything and it's just gone. Gone. Yeah. Gone. And that was very sad. Like, I don't know. I appreciate good. Uh, I appreciate nature. I appreciate trees, obviously things like that, but, uh, it's just weird to be a part of that too. Cause you're like, okay, this still sucks. It's not necessarily homes. It's good management in some parts of that fire. I definitely think it was fine. Like I, you know, I agree. There are things that need to be taken care of. There are things that need to be burnt and, uh, you know, it just makes it better for like the future and the following fire seasons and years and whatnot. But yeah, there's stuff like that where it's like a tree plantation. I'm like, this sucks. Like, why couldn't we protect this? Why couldn't we, uh, you know, save it and make it a little bit more manageable for the years to come. Um, that fire was a good fire, very good fire behavior. Uh, but then when it was out, it was out fast. 
So that, that was also a very good thing. Um, there was another fire too. I was thinking of when you said that the hog fire, but I can't remember what it was. Um, there was another fire up there and it was like near the, the hog fire. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. I can't remember but either. We I'm trying to remember parts of what fire was that? I don't even remember, man. I'm like, Totally drawing a blank right now. You, you just oh, lose track. I got it. I got it. Okay. So obviously the later days of the Dixie fire when it Dixie. ineffected Lassen Park. Yes. That, that whole Lassen ser- Plumas border right there where the hog yeah. fire was. Yes. Well, that the hog oh fire was gosh. on Lassen. Uh hog fire was Lassen Modoc. Lassen Modoc. But it was more northern. Yeah. So it was Susanville. So yeah, Lassen Park. The Dixie got into the southern part of uh, Lassen Park, which me living in Reading, and this is like, you know, I'm not trying to be selfish, but Lassen is beautiful. Oh, yeah, and it's gorgeous. I freaking love going there. Like, I still do, you know, like I like to go hike there and whatnot. But like before the fire, take, I used to have a trailer, just like a small trailer. I'd go out there by myself with my dog and camp at like some of the lakes and go for hikes and stuff. And like I did an adventure race out there one time and I, rode my entire bike and hiked through that entire park. And it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. And, uh, just with nature in general and just being on that fire and like knowing it was burning through Lassen was super sad. And I was like, man, this sucks. Like, obviously things could be worse. It's not one of those fires, like the camper, the car where it's destroying neighborhoods and whatnot, but it did like Greenville. Greenville's you know, gone. Taylorsville yeah. and things like that. But just getting into that park, I just feel like it definitely could have been stopped. Number one, number two, like it's just a sad thing to think about. There's this place that you go and you enjoy, and you're like, man, this park is beautiful. It has so much to offer. Just such a cool place, such good experiences. And now it's like half of its park. So that's another thing that kind of sucks too when you're thinking of like aside from like structural damage and things like that property. Yeah. I mean, well, it's still resource value, right? I mean, it's, it's a national Mm -hmm. park. I mean, it's national forest. It's, it's valuable. It's, it's valuable. I mean, you just said to yourself that you'd find a a unique beauty in the last end of that area because you've had a lot of experiences in there and many other people have as well. And to see that gone and pretty much destroyed. Yeah. It sucks. Not only the communities, uh, not only the forests that were involved, but the communities as well, man, it's, it's, that it's never going to come back the same. It's just like paradise. It's just like uh, Taylorville and Greenville and all these other communities that were, have been affected by wildfire. And you know, it's, it's, I kind of feel like a, like a, like an ass kind of like armchair quarterbacking and adding, uh, I guess a little bit of commentary to what we're seeing nowadays and how we would have done it because it's easy to armchair quarterback stuff. And I know it's complicated. Wildland fire is very, very complicated, but yeah, Honestly, it's, it's not just if you choose to believe in it, there's that politicized thing the choose to believe in climate change or not. It, it's not only that, it's not only the mismanagement of forests and the utter lack of people uh, that are able to, you know, do land management and fuels reduction at scale that it's needed. It's not only the pine beetle infestations that we're seeing, it's the it's all of it. It's all of it at once. It's the politicization of, uh, a lot of it too. I mean, it's crazy. Like, 
it's hard to it's hard to come up with like a turnkey one size fits all solution for how we can prevent catastrophic wildfire because there's no one size fits all solution to that right no absolutely not i wish there was but that's the ugly truth and you bet your sweet ass that you can throw all the wildland firefighters and all the aircraft and all the retardant, all the water in the world at some of these fires that we're seeing now with the fire behavior. And it ain't going to fucking stop. It ain't no. going to do a damn thing to these fires that we're seeing today. No, it's absolutely wild. It's crazy. Yeah. But Hey, you know, we got to live with it. And I think that's another thing that we need to kind of like focus on as well is the PR element, right? Is like, well, this community doesn't like prescribed fire because it puts smoke in the air and you get an inversion in the winter. It just sinks to the bottom of the valley, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Everybody hates smoke. We get that. However, the, the benefit value in the long run, we need to do a better job at explaining that to the public and doing PR and why we're doing this and what the mission is and why, right? It's a good standard briefing. You know, you give the, the who's the what's and the why's and you yes. go to work, right? Yeah. It's a little bit of a inconvenience for the meantime for vast <laughs> saving of public lands and resources. I mean, uh, communities as well. Yes. I, that needs to be communicated. No, I agree. I definitely agree with you. Oh man. Well, we'll see. Firewise communities. It's a thing. It needs to be a bigger thing, I think too. And that and the accountability on the homeowners because forest service can't come in or the Cal fire can't come in. They can't just like start doing stuff like fuels reduction around your house. It, there's rules. <laughs> yeah. People, some people don't understand that. <laughs> no, they don't. Well, back to our original subject here. <laughs> we got down to <laughs> we a went little off on tangents. No, a little bit of a rabbit hole there. So you've had a pretty interesting and very condensed career path so far. And you said you've been in eight years. You've done the engines uh, with Cal Fire. You've done a hell attack with Cal Fire. And now you're on a municipal department at Reading. And uh, how how did you do that? Like, what was like the the driving force of like you know what, I'm going to make the wise career decisions, uh, that are presented to me. And I'm going to just take opportunities when I see them. Like what, what was your like strategy there? So, uh, being on an engine with Cal fire starting off was obviously that's where most people, I mean, these days you can start off on a um, firefighter hand crew, but that wasn't around that was not around when I started. So, yeah. um, it was a uh, start on an engine is kind of the thing that you typically did and getting your experience that way. And then, uh, definitely when I started hell attack was like a sought after thing. And it was very, you know, you look very highly upon those guys cause they're badass and you know, they have a hard job and it's awesome. And you get to fly around a helicopter all day. Like there's nothing like buying a fire on a helicopter changed my mind. Yeah. So 100% agree. Like still to this day, I always tell people I'm like best job I ever had. Yeah, you just got to play like clear creating clear water in the, uh, the headphones in the P. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yes. It's just so, it's just so cool. And to think like you just get to, you know, if you just try hard enough, you put the work in, you get to have that experience. It's like mind blowing. Um, but yeah, man. So started off on an engine, uh, like I said, and went through a couple seasons and gained some experience, had some really good fire experience along the way, just because of the way things happen as we discussed. And, uh, kind of like for me, I got to see aircraft a lot more because I worked at a station where the pad was. And so I got to PT with those guys every once in a while. And, um, when they were doing air rescue training, you know, they're like, Oh, come up and be a victim. So then you get to be, you know, hoisted as a victim. So you get to be, 
yeah, you get to be a part of it. So you're like, all right, this is cool. And then you sit there and you're like, I don't want to be a victim. I want to be a rescuer. So, <laughs> um, hopefully they put a parachute on your, uh, on your Bowman bag. Never, <laughs> never, <laughs> never. Just doing donuts. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> so or a yeah, bag, um, rather. <laughs> time went on and I, uh, kind of had expressed interest in the program and had been talked to by a couple of people that work there, including captains. And, you know, they're like, Oh, you're going to try to come up here. You know, are you going to try to come work for me? Like things like that. And I'm like, I honestly would love to, and you know, I'm going to work my ass off. I'm going to try my best. Like I, I do think, which is so funny because I remember my first season, we got super crewed up on a strike team to go cut line. And I was like, fuck this. This is fucking stupid. I hate this. What have I done to myself? Yeah, no, for real. I was like, this is the stupidest shit ever. And then like after that, I ended up getting on hell attack, which is a hand crew and I uh, loved crew. it. Yeah. And it's just so funny. Like how you make that, uh, that like swap in your mindset. And, uh, yeah. So like I said, time went on and I kind of started like getting different experience and, and exploring different avenues in the department and uh, being around those guys more often and doing training with them. And I'm like, you know what? This seems like something I would really, really enjoy doing. I really want to try. I want to put in the effort. So, um, you know, PC with the politics, uh, put in my resume, expressed to the captains. Uh, I want to be up here. I want to gain this experience. I want to you know, challenge myself and be on a hand crew. I want to do something that's outside of my comfort zone. Um, cause it's easy to stay. Don't get me wrong. Some people don't like flying. Some people don't want to work in a hand crew. That's fine. It's not for everybody. And you know, maybe it wasn't for me and I didn't know until I tried. So I just kind of went out there and I was like, you know what? I want to do something different. And I put time in, I put work in, um, got offered a alternate position. My third season had to turn it down because funny enough, I, um, was going through the firefighter one Academy. So I got hired off of a basic worked for a couple seasons. And then I was like, you know what? I actually really like this job. I think I'm going to try to get more. And so I went through a firefighter one, which is what you have to have basically nowadays to get hired by Cal Fire A. B, you have to have it to get hired by any structural department. So, so uh, hold on, just pump the brakes over one second. Yeah. So I know it's wildly different from like, I'm a, mostly focused on, I guess, like the wildland and WCG, like federal kind of context. So a lot of people out there that are uh, not familiar with how Cal Fire works, explain the firefighter one and firefighter two, because by my understanding, it's a little bit different than the feds or completely. It's kind of like a structured yes. firefighter one versus a firefighter two in yes. structure. Yes. So if you start off like I did and you go through the basic wildland, it gets you all your certs you need to work for Cal Fire technically. It gives you like your uh, wildland certs. You do like your hose lasers, your fire shelters. It's basically if you're going through a um, like a new hire or rehire academy. They just test your skills to make sure like, okay, you can function on this type three engine. You can do all of these skills. You're certified. Um, you pass the tests. So then when you go to a firefighter one, it's uh, completely structural with like one week of that condensed wildland academy. So you learn everything else and you get certified, you get tested, 
on all of the structural components. Um, and mine had the EMT bootcamp within it as well. So it was kind of like a packed version of everything. Like a fast um, track EMT. Yes. Basic. It was a definitely fast track. Um, cause mine was January to May. So it was, um, like six days a week type of deal. And we had PT three days a week, if I remember correctly, um, in the mornings before. So it was like 12 to 14 hour days, six days a week for however many months that is five, four, five, five. And, uh, yeah. Five ish. Ish. And uh, I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> math. It's hard. Words. <laughs> so I'm a firefighter. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the firefighter one is more of like a state fire training certificate. So the state fire marshal signs off, signs off on your certificates. So you can submit them to a uh, municipal department or, you know, or Cal fire or whoever you're going to work for. And it basically says like, I am certified to do anything on a type one engine, type three engine, you know, type six truck, whatever, whatever just in between. It's like yeah. basically the state standard for California. And so that was what I did three seasons in because I knew I wanted to stay there. And I knew I wanted to, uh, not only get like that training because like working in the unit that I was in, I didn't really run a lot of structure fires and it, we were so rural that by the time you get there, they are burned to the ground, which sucks, but just the way it goes sometimes when you, you know, live 30 minutes away from a fire station. So it's a lot of time when something's involved. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I didn't really have the experience. So it wasn't like I was getting, you know, I was getting a ton of wildland experience and a ton of like traffic collisions and stuff. Cause I worked on, um, one one which is the main highway. And a lot so, of MBAs. yeah, so you get a lot of that, but you, I did not get a lot of that structure side and like, was not definitely not comfortable. Definitely didn't feel like, okay, if I promoted and went to IM, like I would know what I was doing. No, not at all. So it was kind of one of those turning points in my career. I'm like, no, this is what I'm going to do. I want to go get certified. And, um, at the time I didn't think I was leaving Cal fire. So it wasn't a thought in my mind, which is then number one thought for most people is going to get this because they want to leave and they want to go work for a city. Um, cause it's the minimum standard to go work for a city. As far as the firefighter two goes, I got mine with Redding and it's kind of different depending on where you are because there's like firefighter type one and type two in the wildland world. And then there's, and it's different for Cal fire, it's different for the feds. And then when you get to the city, it's also different because firefighter two is more of the, uh, like your advanced like rescue stuff or it's like a task book of very specific things. Like, uh, maintenancing power equipment and power plant things. And then, uh, some specific vehicle extrication things. And just like stuff that you're not going to get to do all the time. So you kind of have to simulate it or go to trainings. Yeah. It's not a lot, but it's definitely things where like, it's just not common. It's like very procedure based, but it's those things yeah. that like, it's like, how do you repair a Mark three pump? Yes. It's yeah. stuff like that, where you just kind of have to like tabletop it, 
talk about it. Uh, you know, if you have it there, like bring it out and show like, no, I know how this functions. I know how I can fix it. Uh, kind of like the whole thing, <clears throat> for example, like with the, uh, power plants and power equipment, stuff like that. Maintenance. It's like, okay, I maintenance a generator every Saturday at the station. And so I can like talk about that. And I can talk about how I do this and, you know, check the oil and fuel it and make sure everything's running correctly and whatnot. Um, so that was like one of those things that you could get signed off pretty easily, but yeah, that was kind of the turning point. There was firefighter one. Okay. I got laid off from the state in January and two days later started the firefighter one Academy. And the day I graduated the firefighter one Academy, I started back on with Cal fire the next day. So it was like, that was a season where I didn't necessarily have a break because I chose not to, because I was, you know, obviously in the Academy, which is a personal choice, but that was when I got offered the, uh, alternate position with Helitac. And so obviously I couldn't take it. Cause I was like, Hey man, like I'm graduating from the fire Academy. You know, I can't just quit. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not and obviously, this up after I'm this far into my Academy, it's just doesn't make sense to do that. Yeah. And obviously they're very supportive of it and they understand they're like, okay, yeah, no worries. Like next year. And so, um, went to work on the engine again that season. And then the following season, obviously I tried again for Hell Attack, um, ended up getting a permanent position on Hell Attack. So I never was an alternate. Um, I would have liked to think I would have been the year before, you know, things were different, but I, I don't, you know, looking back, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I think what I did was right. And, you know, things worked out anyway. So that next year, um, you know, went through BHOS, basic helicopter operations and safety, went through air rescue, got on, made the cut, um, got up there. It was a bit of a struggle for a while, just, you know, like, I wasn't necessarily the fastest hiker, wasn't the fastest runner. Running was a huge thing at my base. Uh, we did a lot of runs. We did a lot of line cutting. Um, hiking was like here and there sprinkled in because when we went to go cut line, most of the time it was steep. Um, and then, you know, just like we were a pretty busy base with fires. So we were pretty much always hiking anyway. Yeah. Um, and well, then that everyone, like an umbilical cord attached to that helicopter. So, I mean, going yeah. out for a crew hike and peeling all your shit off the ship. I mean, that's just not conducive to fight fighting fire. So you tend to do yeah. a lot of running if you're on helicopter on a helitac crew. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's, it's just simpler and like less time consuming. So yeah. <laughs> that, and then like, uh, gym workouts every once in a while, we did a lot of like circuit style, CrossFit style stuff. Um, just cause it kind of like fits the memo, but yeah, so that was fun. Um, yeah, needless to say, my first year was a struggle. I learned a lot. Um, and yeah, wasn't the fastest, wasn't like, was never on first saw, was always like second saw or first pump, um, back pump. And, uh, which is very fun if you get a grass fire. And if you don't get a grass fire, it's not fun at all. No. You just hike around with a full pack of water and you fucking hate your life. So, <laughs> um, swing a tool and have a pack full of water. It's super cool. So, uh, yeah, but after that, um, towards the end of the first season kind of started to get like the hang of it. I had a couple saw days and obviously moving out to cut line. It's like, we bring 
for the most part, uh, you know, three or four saws and kind of just focus on that more than anything. And so everybody kind of got to run through and got more comfortable and started falling trees and stuff like that. And then, uh, when I came back the next year on Hell Attack, I worked my ass off and it was noted and it was recognized, which was super cool. I lost, I was telling you this, I lost like 18 pounds, which yeah. is wild. Um, a lot. I weighed, yeah, I weighed like, I don't know. So I'm five, eight, I weighed like 180 pounds at like my peak. When I say peak, I mean like my highest weight with Cal Fire. Um, super into powerlifting. I was a hiker, did not run, like could care less about cardio. I was just like, I want to be strong. I like deadlifting. I like squatting, whatever. And then <laughs> time went on. I'm like, I can't really do this uh, with Hell Attack. It's not working. So um, yeah, I decided to start running and working out uh, differently during the winter. Came back and I was like, yo, what's up? I weigh like 158, 160 pounds now. And they're like, holy shit. And uh where did Matt go? <laughs> yeah, literally. She got and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, my run times were better and I was faster hiking and I was in the middle of the pack, which is like all I really wanted to be honest. I didn't want to be first, but I just wanted to be in the middle, not last. And um yeah, so things got better. And uh not only because of that, but because I obviously had a year under my belt, a very busy year under my belt, I should say. Um it's funny because you go out there and people are like, man, you're taking a huge pay cut because you aren't going to be on strike teams all summer. I tell you what, my first season on Hell Talk, we were so fucking busy. I was begging for a day off. Like we were so busy. I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but that is not what's going on. Yeah. So, and it was cool. It was, it was super fun. I learned a lot, like I said, and, you know, got to see so many different, uh, fires got so much experience um obviously being on the helicopter my first year just having that ia experience is huge but just getting experienced so many things and even like the shitty days and time on helibase where you're not doing really anything but also time on helibase where you have you know i was very fortunate to have a lot of good captains that wanted to get you work and didn't want to leave you sitting there all day at helibase and so they're like you know what you know, we're available for IA, we're available for air rescue or, you know, Hey, is there anything we can do? And so like, all right, load up. We're going to go to this division and like cut line, even if it was a bigger scale fire. And you're like, you know what, what we're doing right now is not necessarily going to make a dent in the large scale things. We were still working. We were still, you know, like doing things as a crew, making a difference, you know, small scale. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's better than sitting on your ass doing nothing. Right. So I was very fortunate to work for people like that, that, you know, recognize that and they're like, no, you know what, let's go out and do something. So yeah. that was cool. That's uh, a good sign of a good helicopter manager, in my opinion. I mean, if you're trying to sit there and sell yourself to, you know, this division or this assignment or whatever, and trying to get missions under your belt, like the entire time, instead of sitting on your ass at helibase, that's a sign of a good leadership to me for a helicopter manager or yeah. a superintendent. Oh, totally. It's a, uh, it was cool to be a part of. And I really, really enjoyed it because I can appreciate a good supervisor. And it's like, nobody wants to sit there. You know what I mean? And, uh, it, they tried. And when we could get out, it was cool. And if not, like, you just kind of understood, you're like, this is just the way it goes sometimes. But, uh, yeah. So needless to say, second season was a little bit better for me and, you know, kind of more crew cohesion and 
I was starting to get like more saw days, you know, they put me on first saw and they would actually be like, okay, yeah, we're putting her on first saw because she can do it. Not because we're trying to fuck with her. And so, um, yeah, so that got to be a lot more fun and I learned a lot. I got a lot of saw experience and, uh, I love that. Um, I had such a great time and yeah. So by the end of that second season on hell attack, I was way stronger all around just more well-rounded like so you got your time you got your hell attack time yeah and i it was just such a cool turning point for me again like i'm gonna say this entire podcast like in such a short amount of time it was such a cool experience to go do an air rescue day and have like you know as a rescuer go pick up somebody um with the cinch collar or with the screamer suit or something and have the guys be like fuck yeah that was good like that looked so good you know you did a great job, whatever to have that from them just felt so good to be like, okay, like my hard work is paying off. I'm actually trying. And, you know, I care enough to make a difference. I care enough to not be a fucking shit bag and like actually try and make myself better at this job. Yeah. Um, because it's a lot of info thrown at you right off the bat and oh, yeah, uh, you're like drinking from the fire hose proverbially. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's a lot. And so, um, it just was cool to, myself like understand like yeah i am making progress and my my work is being seen and recognized and for me that was huge just because like i do want to do a good job i always i always try to do a good job i always try to show people like i am here to do this because i want to and because i like to and so just being reiterated is nice um so yeah uh by the end of my second season with hall attack I was feeling a lot more confident doing better. Um, you know, like people confided in me better and I was doing better on runs and ended up beating a bunch of the guys, almost all of them, if not all of them, if I remember correctly on my last run before I left and I was very stoked. Uh, and, uh, so that was a fun day and yeah, ended up taking a job with the city of Reading where I am now. And it was kind of wild because I never thought I'd leave Cal Fire. I was like, man, this is the best job ever. I love it. You know, there's a lot of people that don't like it. Don't like the time away from family. Don't like, you know, um, the work schedule and whatnot. But it's, uh, for me, I was like, I never really had anything to hold me back, I guess. But, uh, yeah. So took the job at Reading, just kind of how things lined up in my life. And, uh, came up here about two and a half years ago now. Um, wasn't super sold on it when I first started, if we're being honest, uh, going through the Academy, I was like, man, I don't, I think I fucked up. I want to go back a little bit over (laughs) your head kind of feeling or yeah, it was just so different, obviously so different. And just like, number one, let me just start by saying hell attack. Hell attack is the best job. And to leave that is so hard. And <laughs> every hot shot just cringed. Every hot shot that's listening to this just went. Ugh. I know, but it's so true. It's just flying around in a helicopter every day and getting paid for it and like getting dropped off on fires is so fucking cool. Like it's pretty damn fun. I'm not it's so lie. fun. And so just to leave that and then go back to getting on engine, you're like, fuck. Like I haven't, <laughs> I haven't 
such a host in two years. Now here I am. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing fighting house fires, first of all. <laughs> so you get there and you're like, cool, right? So get through the academy. And then they come up to Wildland Day and you're like, cool, I got this shit. This is my time to shine. And then you go out and there's like one chainsaw day. Out there, and they're like, oh, you did it. This is like your element. This is the happiest I've seen you the entire time. I'm like, yeah, because I don't feel like a fucking idiot. <laughs> I actually know what I'm doing here. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, because I know how to use this thing. So, uh, yeah, it was just, it was a learning curve and it was very nerve wracking. And yeah, like I said, just didn't know if I made the right choice at the time. Um, but, uh, yeah, things, you know, went on and learned a lot. And then thankfully ended up doing my probation with a very good captain. Um, he took very good care of me. We had a lot of experience together, uh, loved to train and, uh, you know, ended up getting a good engineer towards the second half of my probation. And so it was a good time. Um, got a lot of really good fire experience, uh, both, uh, wildland structure, uh, you know, vehicle fires, dumpster fires, which, you know, what are you going to learn on dumpster fire? Nothing really, but <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just part of, it's just part of the job, but, uh, yeah. So kind of went through my first year with Reading and was on and off like, okay, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I'm meant to be here. I don't know if this is the job for me. And then, uh, time went on and kind of got more fire experience, more, uh, serious structure responses that I was a part of. And, uh, then I got to go down to station one where I currently am and get to do my time on the ladder truck now. And I've been there for about a year and, uh, I love it. I think that I'm very grateful for my experiences beforehand, um, at the station that I was at before, but now I just feel more comfortable. I feel like, I feel like how I was when I got on hell attack. I feel like I was more meant to be here doing this part of the job. I feel like I fit in better. And this is just the kind of work that I prefer. And when I say that, I don't mean, I don't like engine work. I definitely do. I love it. I love hose management. I love um, taking a hose line in on a house fire, you know, being on fire attack and stuff like that. I think it's super fun, especially if you, you know, you have like have a badass somebody. interior or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's super fun. You know, it doesn't always have to be about breaking shit and cutting holes. Like, yeah, I'd rather do that, but it's also like <laughs> Kinsey smash. <laughs> <laughs> no, because yeah. Cause I just, I, everybody knows I'm number one, always dirty. I look like a fucking dirt bike all the time. Number That's two, that I wild break man talking right there. What? That's the wild land side of you talking right there. It, it's so is man. It's so funny every day. You're like, why are you so dirty? I'm like, I can't help it you know, so it's fun (laughs) (laughs) in more ways than one, right? Just, just the dirtiest fucker you've ever met in your life. Like these guys didn't know what was coming to them when I started this department. We will totally get into that too. But yeah, it's just like getting all these experiences, doing all this stuff has been awesome. Um, very grateful. And, uh, yeah, now going to the truck has been badass, very nerve wracking. When I first got there, I, you know, obviously you start there, you don't know, like, I didn't know what half the shit was on the truck. Um, you know, it's kind of up to you to go through and learn it and get that experience. And then as I started getting incidents and fires and whatnot, and, you know, I've got to cut cars, you know, with the extrication equipment and, uh, got to use the airbags and I've cut, you know, multiple vent holes now on houses and, uh, just got to do a lot of really cool things. And I've got, you know, 
one or two rescues under my belt now, which I say that I don't really like talking about it, but I say it because it's like a very pivotal point in your career that a lot of people don't get to experience getting the save. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking cool. And I'm just like, so grateful for that opportunity that it happened the way that it did and to be a part of it. And the captain that I was operating with that day is just such a badass. And I don't think he could have done anything better than what he did. I think like he, he just did such a great job and it was so cool to be a part of. And those, you know, those two victims, uh, ended up surviving and it was super cool and they're alive and well today. And they, uh, come over and they've, you know, said hi and whatnot, which is like so badass to think about. Um, so it just makes it like extremely humbling experience. Yeah. yeah, It's just so, it's just so cool to see. I love it. So uh, have a relationship with the people. What's that? Especially have like a good relationship with the people afterwards. That's pretty impressive. That's gotta be a real humbling, cool experience. It definitely is. And that's the only reason I ever bring it up because I I really don't talk about it a lot, but it's one of those things where um, it's worth talking about and bringing it up because of where they're at today. And because of like the fact that they're alive and whatnot. And like, I think I, I think I more so talk about it because I'm proud of the way that my crew operated that day. And I'm proud of the way that things went. And I think it just like showed that as a department that day, we did a really good job. And there's been, you know, there's been other days too, where I feel like I feel the same way where I'm like, you know what, we crushed that. We did a great job. Like the, the training really showed through that day and people showed up and did their job. And that's all you can ever ask. And, uh, so yeah, that's been cool. Um, so yeah, going back to the truck, um, something super cool about that other than, you know, it being a giant toolbox and throwing ladders and cutting vent holes and stuff like that, which has been awesome. Cause I went, I don't know, I didn't get my first vent hole there until I think it was like a year and a half in with the department, maybe. Um, and my first one was like very sketchy, which it's going to, you know, that's just a a given, um, get on a roof and you're like, all right, here we go. This is it. And, uh, fuck up or fall through (laughs) one, two, three, here we go. You got this right. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, the first one wasn't like my best of course, but I didn't expect it to be, um, you can practice all you want, but until you get up there and you feel that roofing material and you cut into it and you're like, Oh, this is a lot different than, uh, you know, plywood or whatever, like OSB. Especially when the the scenario changes to where it's not like a training in a controlled environment to where it's like, Oh, there's actual real life consequences with this. I can imagine that significantly changes your perspective. Yeah. 100%. When you have crews operating interior that either a need the lift, want the lift, or, you know, you're just trying to help them out any way you can. And then, and, uh, also, conditions as in fire smoke uh things on the roof like i've ran into like skylights uh whirly birds uh like stove pipes stuff like that you run into that kind of stuff which on a prop you're like oh it's just osb it's just two sheets super easy super thin whatever it's light outside i can see everything i'm doing and then you get on roof at fucking one o'clock in the morning you're like i can't see shit <laughs> so <laughs> see plus you get the just, environmental aspect with the smoke and like whatever wind and yeah I can yes, really exactly. It's uh, it's very nerve wracking. And then after that, uh, kind of just like I, I say I lucked out 
And this is like a thing that people and you know, people on fire understand this when you say like, oh yeah, it was fucking awesome. I got a vent job or, oh yeah, it was fucking awesome. Like this fire went so good. Or, you know, I got a house fire or I got a veg fire that was, you know, this, this or that. It's, it's because you like love the job, you're excited about it and you got a new experience and you feel like better about going to do something the next time. Yeah. And so that's where, I, when I say this, there's, there's some of my friends I talk to sometimes where they're like, it's so funny to me that you get like so pumped up about a fire, like making your day better. And I'm like, I know that to other people they are like, no, that would make my day worse. But to me, I'm like, no, I'm like, I got to do my job. Yeah. You're so, learning as well. I mean, every yeah. like little, every little thing that you encounter new on the job, whether it be wildland or structure or shit, even if you're at a desk, writing a desk for work. Right. I mean, every time you learn something new, that's like gotta be a positive impact on your life and it's gotta be pretty fulfilling. Right. Oh well, yeah. 100%. Um, <clears throat> I think it's just one of those things where, I don't know. I probably said it already multiple times. Like I'm just stoked on experiences and I'm stoked on like gaining more knowledge and learning more things and being better and like being more well-rounded and whatnot. Um, so yeah, with that just comes like all the things you're going to do on a different piece of equipment, which is like cool transitioning from, you know, type three wildland engine to helicopter to type one structure engine to ladder truck. And we are a true ladder truck. We are not a quint. We do not have a pump. Um, I like to tell people that cause I'm like, I think we're way cooler cause we're a ladder truck. Um, <laughs> so it's just more fun. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So anyways, that's cool. And then something very unique about running too, is we have a lot of type three wildland engines and a lot of stations cross staff them, but at station one, we cross staff our type three. If you're on the truck, I do not mind being on the type three. I love going to wildland fires. However, I think it's very stupid to have an unstaffed ladder truck in the city for hours on end. I think that's a flaw in our system. Many people agree. Um, I don't know why we do that, but whatever, moving on. Uh, we, <laughs> We get on the type three, just, you know, I've had days where I've spent like eight hours on that thing. And I'm like, well, nobody's came in a staff ladder truck. Hopefully we don't get up ripping fire where they need us, I guess, yeah. you know, it's just so weird. But, uh, yeah, so we, we, uh, cross out the type three there and then lots of other stations just cross out their, uh, type ones with the type three. So just kind of depends on the response, but just depends yeah, on man. what like, the fire danger is for like the wild end. Yeah. Yeah. And What's funny is I was going to bring this up, uh, just the shift. So I got off shift this morning at like eight 15, eight 30. And, uh, yesterday was wild. And this is like something I wanted to shed light on too, is Redding for people that know Redding, like it's, it's obviously very hot, very busy Redding. I like to tell people Redding is a fire hub. There's city, county, Cal fire feds, like, at smoke, you know, smoke jumpers, there's a uh, Shasta Trinity helicopter, there's hotshot crews, like there's everyone. And, uh, you know, and even like Reading Air Attack Base, we have a station at the airport and there's just like, everybody is in Reading. And so I think, I personally think that's really cool, but it's also just like, there's so many resources here. Um, 
but yeah, it's just, it's super hot here. Fire behavior is always pretty crazy here. Um, no matter what, there are so many fires here every day that, you know, obviously small scale, they're not reported or people don't really like read about them, hear about them, they're not reported, whatever. But just yesterday, it's like, okay, I'm working on the engine. I'm on engine one. And just in my 24 hour operational period, I had three vegetation fires and I don't know, five medical aids and like maybe a handful of other random calls, whatever they were. And, uh, I, you just like, that is so common for us just this entire week. I've been on a veg fire every single day. And so it's just a lot of municipal city departments don't do that, especially if you're in the city, like San Francisco, Oakland, you know, like they, it's just where they are. It's yeah. just a difference in um, topography and shit like that. So well, if you look at Reddit, uh, it's like a lot of wooey, like a yes, lot, a, a lot. shit tile, a shit pile yes. of wooey. Yeah. And so it's like, it's, it's apparent it's going to happen. It always does every year. Um, yeah. So the department I work for is just very unique in that aspect where you get to do everything you get to do, you know, literally everything. And like, I've like a lot of variety. Yeah. Yeah. I've, you know, obviously I've done my structure shit. I've cut vent holes. I went interior on structure fires. I've, you know, gone on plenty of, uh, vehicle extrication calls and medical aid, obviously run medical aids every single day, but yeah, there's like, uh, you know, do hose lays all the time. I've cut line. I've fucking fell like a ton of trees with city running. I never thought I would do that. I never thought I'd get to like cut with a chainsaw like that with this department, you know? Yeah. And so it's just been cool because not only are there so many cool people that work for running that like have those experiences and they're kind of just like, Oh yeah, well, you know, if you know how to do it, do it. Like they kind of just give you that freedom, which is cool. Enough rope to hang yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the best way to learn, things. honestly. They're not gonna let you get hurt or anything. Like, no, exactly. It's so. just no. It's, it, that's exactly they're let what you it fuck is up, too. but not like fuck up catastrophically. Exactly. Yeah. If they didn't think you'd do it, they probably wouldn't let you do it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just cool. Like, uh, I remember this was like I think I'd been on the apartment for six months. And we went out to do kind of like a neighborhood, like reforestation cleanup day. So they had like two of us engines and then some people off duty came on and then they had like some people that lived in the neighborhood, just kind of like cleaning up an area by a bunch of houses and just showing like, okay, we're out here. We're trying to help like clean up the area for uh, fire season. And so there was a couple of trees and they're like, you need to come down. And like, we need somebody to take these trees down. And nobody's raising their hand. Nobody's like offering. And I'm like, I'll do it. And they're like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I love this stuff. Yeah. Give me the fuck. Give me the fucking saw. And, uh, my captain's like, no, yeah, she's fine. Go for it. Cause he like had worked around me enough and whatnot. And, uh, you know, needless to say, when I say shit like this, I am not a fucking tree faller. I am not like some badass fucking bitch. I wish I was, I am not, but I know how to fall trees to the extent of what I, you know, put myself in front of, I'm not going to fall some crazy shit, but I have enough experience on a saw to be comfortable. So they're like bee trees. They weren't anything crazy. And, uh, went over and took a couple of them out. There's like two or three. And (laughs) it's so funny. Our fire chief was just like, 
that was so cool. Like you did such a good job. And I was like, thanks. This is like normal. What are you talking <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah, I know. I'm like, I know you guys thought that was super, <laughs> super weird, but. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so yeah, that was cool. Just because again, one of those things where I didn't think I would get to do that. Yeah. So uh, you have a lot of variety with your current position. And then you also had a lot of variety with your, your past and like the lead up to this. And yes. I mean, it kind of sounds like it's more or less a passion project of yours almost yeah. like, like you just kind of followed your heart and kind of made these decisions as they came up and it just worked out for you. And you just by following your heart and kind of listening to what I guess the universe was trying to tell you to do. Yeah. It's uh I definitely think that's a really good way to put it. I think that um, there's been times where I didn't know, you know, should I take a different career path in my career still, but like a different path? Should I promote now? Should I do this? Should I do that? And uh, funny enough, we just had a promotional exam that I turned down. I turned down two of them because I really enjoy being a firefighter and I, am a strong believer in being like well-rounded and comfortable with what you're doing before you move on to supervise somebody else or yeah. to drive a piece of equipment that maybe you've never done some of the things that you can do on it. You know, like it's full capability. It's not saying that you're always going to get to do that, obviously, but um, for me, it was more of a personal choice, just understanding like, especially with Cal Fire, if you, you know, when you promote with Cal Fire for the most part on an engine, as an engineer, you're going to be the supervisor of people. You're not, you know, it's not like with the city you promote, you're just, you know, I don't mean to say you're just driving, but you're driving and you're pumping and stuff like that. And then when you're a captain, you obviously are like the supervisor position, but with Cal Fire, you promote and you're boom, you're in charge of like brand new seasonals. Same thing with the feds. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, uh, you know, uh, your squatties and your captains and whatnot, like I wouldn't want to be put into that position without having that experience myself. I wouldn't want to take a crew into a structure fire with Cal fire. If I had never been on one myself, I yeah. just think that would be super shitty. And I mean that in the most like respectable way possible, because there are plenty of people who do that. And sometimes it's just the way it is because of where you work in like rural departments. Sometimes you don't have um, a choice. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you just don't get that experience, which is fine. Um, that's why they have academies. That's why with like the state, you go to IO and you go through these programs and you learn and then you're like, okay, cool. Like it's the same shit. And I don't mean to sound judgmental when I say that because it's the same shit as if you were to go through a fire. There's a plenty of people that go through firefighter one academies. Um, and have never had any fire experience graduate and they get picked up with the municipal department and are just like thrown out there. It's the same shit. So it's, that's more of just like a personal preference for me, but, um, yeah, needless to say, it's definitely for me about like, I want to do what feels right for me. I want to get the experiences that I want. I want to feel like good about myself in this job. And I want to feel like I'm somebody that people can come to. I pride myself in being somebody downtown right now that probationary firefighters can come to and ask questions or like, Hey, can you help me out with like this certain set of skills? Like I want to set the airbags up. Can you help me? Yeah, totally. I can do that. Yeah. Hey, I have a question about this. Can you help me? Yeah, totally. Like I like feeling comfortable. 
And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's, you know, a good thing for now. Like I have so many years left in my career. I don't need to rush. Yeah. Well, you get your reps in, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so, that totally makes sense though. I mean, it's not like you're going to throw a, a brand new IC five on a rip and fire that, you know, is going to have to get transitioned to a type three incident. I mean, you just don't do that. That's mm-hmm. yeah. You got to just get your reps and that's totally respectable. But like the path that you've taken and the choices that you've made, you feel that anybody can pretty much do this. Mm-hmm. And especially being the woman's perspective in fire. I mean, you're, you're pretty badass. I mean, it's not like everybody, I mean, this is a very male dominated industry. It doesn't matter if it's structure. It doesn't matter if it's state, it doesn't matter if it's fed, all fire is pretty much male dominated. And I'm pretty sure you encountered a lot of shit during the whole process, but I mean, you made it look where you are today. Thank you for that. It's uh, yeah, no, you're not wrong. Like I'm not going to sit here and be like, Oh no, like that's yeah, you know, sunshine and rainbows. This. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can't, I mean, it's come uh, on. We, we all know. Yeah, definitely. Um, thank you. It's a, uh, yeah, it definitely hasn't been easy. Um, you're going to run into people that don't believe in you. You're going to run into people that, uh, judge you just for being a chick. Um, people that don't think you can do the job because they're like, Oh, you know, it perfect example. I run into people still all the time. It makes me laugh so hard. Like old men on lift assist. They're like, Oh, you're you, this is who they sent. Like, you're going to need more than this to pick me up. And I'm like, I like to fuck with people. So I have a really hard time. So I'm like, no, you're right. Sorry. I'll just leave you on the floor. But <laughs> <laughs> then you just get in their face. Like, bro, I could bench your weight. Then some. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's so funny. Cause I go back and forth between like, I want to fuck with this person, but I always, I also want to help them. So, <laughs> um, the devil's advocate. Yeah. It's so <laughs> angel and devil on your shoulder. <laughs> you have to like know your crowd and then go from there. But, <laughs> um, yeah, definitely ran into that. Still do all the time. Um, you know, you show up and they're like, Oh, uh, you can't lift me. And I'm like, no, I think I can. And then I get behind him and I lift him up. They're like, Oh, wow. And I'm like, do you think that they would let me do this job? If, if I wasn't, I wasn't capable. capable, exactly. I'm like, what the fuck? So, um, that always makes me laugh, but, uh, mind you, there are people out there, men and women that should not do it. This job uh, structure or wildland that's Cal It's fire. not for everybody. hundred percent. It's truly not. And I can't stand it because I think like if there's nothing wrong with trying and figuring out that it's not for you. Um, but just that's accept it and figure on. out if it's, if you're good at something like failure is yeah. a very <clears throat> important part of like the human experience, right? It, yes. it, it teaches you humility. It teaches you what you're good at. It teaches you how to adapt I mean, I'm not saying that you failed at anything like that, but you've had minor failures along the way, just like I have, just like anybody has in this entire world. Right. Yes. And those things are critical about figuring out life. Yes. It's a uh, definitely something that can be relayed like across everything in oh, life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's just makes you stronger. Oh, oh, totally. Yeah. I think so. Um, and every like everybody so we'll just go back to like kind of being like a a woman and being here and my perspective granted my perspective is a little bit different um just because of the way that I was raised and whatnot but uh I try to understand things from a woman's perspective 
the best that I can. And I also try to understand it from the way that I am because I want to be true to myself. I don't try to make a big deal out of like being a chick here in this job, but I also have to remember like I am different. Um, and people are going to treat me differently, whether you like it or not. Some people won't, some people do. Um, for example, I had a captain before that wasn't the nicest, but he treated me like everybody else. And I seriously respected him so much for that because I didn't want to be treated differently. I didn't want to be coddled. I didn't want to be, I've, I've seen it and I hate it. I can't fucking stand it. I've been there on hell attack and seen engine women, engine firefighters that totally had captains like wrapped around their fingers. And I cannot fucking stand it. I think it's wrong and whatever it happens. It's the captain's fault for letting it happen in my opinion. Um, but that captain that I had would never let me get away with that shit. And I seriously, at the time I was like, you're a fucking asshole, but I, <laughs> uh, appreciate him for it. And like, we have a great relationship and, um, still to this day, like, you know, have a good relationship and he's awesome. And I respect him for it. And it like made me super happy and made me feel more a part of things than if he would have totally treated me the opposite, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, you get people like that. And then you get people like, you know, real life scenarios that I've dealt with where it doesn't hurt my feelings or anything, but it's, it's weird to have somebody say like, you know, we're taking a strike team, strike team deployment. And uh captain says she can't be on my engine. She has to be on the other one. And I didn't, I never knew this uh, until what? Obviously. Yeah. I never knew this until after the fact, but you do get <laughs> shit like that where they're like, Nope, I can't have her on my engine. And you're like, why? Well, cause she's a female. Okay. Get the fuck over it. Wait, wait, wait. Just because you're a female, you can't go on assignment. Yeah. It was literally like, she needs to be put on the other engine. She cannot, I will not have her on my engine. She has to be on the other engine. So. So that, hold on. I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. What, what the fuck? Seriously? <laughs> yeah. It's uh is it like an intimidation thing? Like they're so insecure that they uh, can't handle a female, a woman being on a truck with them I think for X amount of days, 30 days, whatever days that you're going to be out there. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit of everything. And to me, it just seems so weird because coming from Cal fire, that was like, just accepted. Um, and needless to say, like there were not a lot of chicks in my unit when I got hired. Um, I think when I got hired, there was probably like six of us, which is not a lot compared to, you know, the whole unit, but, uh, I never had anything like that happen. Cause it was just kind of like, Oh, I signed up for the job and this is what you do and you know, whatever. But yeah, coming here, it was like a whole different ball game because I, I am the only female in this department. And so they just weren't used to it. And, uh, to be fair, there are some learning curves with having a female on with you at the station and having a female on your engine, especially for maybe the girlfriends and wives of people that are not used to it, which I 
don't really understand, but I try to, because, you know, I'm not in their shoes. I can't say, um, but yeah, it's just like a thing where you hear that and you're like, huh, that's weird. Um, I'm just like trying to do my job like everybody else, you know, and just like, I don't know what there is to worry about or, you know, what could possibly go wrong unless I was a fucking idiot, but you know, I like to think I'm not. So, um, yeah, it's not, a, it's normally not a good idea to shit where you eat. Yeah, exactly. So it's just kind of one of those things where you're like, well, okay, I guess I'll just, you know, be thankful. I still got to go out on a different engine and it was fine. And like I said, I didn't even know about this until like later that year. So post facto, so. you found out about this of why yes. you were, oh, wow. That's- yeah, it wasn't, yeah, definitely was not a thing. There was a lot of things I didn't know until way later, just like that. And like, um, people not wanting to work at a station because I worked there, um, just stuff like that. So, and I think honestly, is it like, I'm still trying to figure out, is it like an attitude clash or like a conflict of like, um, personalities, <sighs> personality conflict, or is it, I what the think, f- I think it's like, more of them being nervous around me because if they thought they would have to change the way that they talk or act. Um, cause I have ran it, I have run into that. And I think it's also, um, you know, maybe they thought that I was going to be like super high maintenance or just like they couldn't be comfortable around me or whatever. And I th- I get that. I get that it's hard for change. I get that a lot of people, especially in the fire service, do not like change. And I am change. That's what I was at the time. And uh, do I think it's a big deal? No, I don't. But um, to some people it was, and it still is. And I think that maybe it's uh, probably intimidating to have somebody that you've never worked with before come in and be like, okay, we have this new person that's like, a different gender than me, I guess. I, I don't know, like the best way to put it to me. I'm like, it's not a big deal, but, um, yeah, I think. Well, it's like you're isolated because I mean, in a very male dominated station or unit or whatever, it's like, you're the odd person out. Right. Yes. And I can understand. Well, actually, no, I can't understand that even. I mean, it's like, you should like embrace that. Like, holy shit, look at this badass girl over here. She's like outrunning the fuck out of my entire crew. I want her. Let's, let's go. Let's get on there. You bleed the same blood as me. Like you do work, you perform your jobs and your duties to like above expectations. Let's go. Like, I don't see what the problem is. No, I, I agree with you. And I, I think that that's like very nice to hear. And I think it's, um, it's cool because it exists. It definitely exists. Like there are so many badass chicks in fire that I know. And badass dudes too. And there are shitty dudes and there are shitty chicks. It's just the way it is. And, uh, but yeah, there are so many badass chicks that I know on fire that I'm like, fuck yeah. Like you're, you're rad. You do the job. Like this is so Get cool. Some. I see it. Yeah. It's so cool. I love it. Um, yeah. So just coming into that environment, I knew it was going to be tricky. I knew that they necessarily like, I don't want to say they didn't want me, but they definitely were like, eh, we'd be okay if she didn't come here. But <laughs> yeah, so got there and tried to do my best. And uh, to be honest with you, man, like all it really took for me was a few incidents and working around people and then getting to see who I really was and the way that I talk and the way that I am. Uh, people that know me, it's just even yesterday at work, uh, my engineer, he's like, 
that's Sarah McKenzie. That's her. We love her because I'm cooking dinner and I like go over and I don't even remember what the hell I was doing, but I like to make a lot of jokes. I like to make a lot of women jokes. I like to joke about being in the kitchen. I like to do <laughs> shit like that. I always, <laughs> it's just very fun and they love it because they're like, oh shit, like she said it. I didn't say it. She said it. And it just kind of like breaks ice with everybody. And so it just, it's funny and they appreciate it. So I like it because it makes everybody feel better. But, um, and I don't take anything personally. So to me, I'm like, oh, this you're going to have thick skin in this industry. It doesn't matter if you're structured municipal, state, whatever. You just got, yeah. you have to have thick skin, period. You have to. Yeah. You kind of got to just roll with things. Uh, so yeah, that's super fun. But yeah, even just yesterday, he's like, that's our McKenzie. Cause I'll walk around. I'm like, Oh fuck shit. Like I fucking dropped something fucking motherfucker. And he's like, God, your mouth is so bad compared to like so many people around here. And just even riding around with certain crews that I feel comfortable with or, you know, it's the same, like you're on the fire line, you're at the station, you're, you know, driving around, whether you're in a buggy, an engine, a truck, whatever you're doing, like, the conversations that you have so many people like it would blow their minds to hear like the way that you talk the things you talk about the things that come out of your mouth they're like how the fuck do you even think about that first of all secondly <laughs> what is wrong with you it's like shower <laughs> like, thoughts coming out yeah. <laughs> it's just like what <laughs> yeah. yeah and i i remember the first time i was riding with this captain uh and one of the engineers that i i love working with he's actually opposite shift to me but we have a very good relationship and uh that's just super funny because we're riding around we're like talking shit the whole time and you know we're talking in headsets and uh i was talking about some i was talking about like coffee shop and i was like yeah you know what i really want to do like i want to own a coffee shop we're, I don't even know, like where it went off on a deep tangent. And, uh, the captain was like, I literally feel like I'm talking to my two best friends from high school. And we're just like bullshitting with the boys talking about the shit. And as the time went on, he's like, you are way more inappropriate than half the guys that I work with. I'm like, I am, I I've been told that so many times. Like I am so the shit that comes out of my mouth, like my mom is not proud. I will tell you that, but it's, <laughs> it's also very funny and I can't help it. It's, it's truly who I am. And my mouth is horrible. I have a horrible sailor mouth. I, I try really hard not to, but again, the way that I am. Um, so yeah, I think it's things like that, that make people feel more comfortable. And that's kind of how I won over a lot of the guys that I work with is I was not afraid to be myself. I was not afraid to like chime in and have conversation and, you know, give them shit and they can give me shit. And, you know, nine times out of 10, I'm just going to fucking laugh about it or say something worse back to them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that kind of opening up and, and them being like, Oh yeah, I can fuck with her. I can say something. Um, cause it's even when I first started there, they're like, I have someone say like, Oh fuck. Oh, sorry. Like, I didn't mean to say that. Or like, I remember one time in a union meeting, um, one of the guys was like, Oh yeah. Um, we got kicked in the, kicked in the balls or something like that last night. And they're like, Oh, sorry, Mackenzie. And I was like, what? And they're like, Oh, Oh, nothing. And I was like, what'd you say? Vagina. And they were like, Oh my God. <laughs> <Just> out loud. <laughs> yeah. No, swear to God, man. I'm like, well, if if you're going to say it, I'm going to say it. So <laughs> like, chill out, chill out, bro. 
not a big deal. So yeah, stuff like that made it way easier for them to come around. I gotcha. What about like hardcore haters? Have you ever had any encounters with that? Like anybody that just like was blatantly fucking with you? Like maliciously? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you have to um, say to the, how do how, all right. Professionally for the people out there, I guess like the other women in fire that are encountering shit like this. Cause I hear about it all the time. Like every weekly daily on a daily basis, someone slides in my DMs and it's like, Hey, what do I do about this, this situation? So if you have somebody who's like blatantly harassing you, like mm -hmm. how, how would you go about saying, well, basically fuck you to them? So, okay. So I'll hit this from a couple different standpoints. I've had, um, coworkers, I've had people on the internet and I've had people, uh, actual citizens on like real calls that I've been running like yeah. medical aids that I've been trying to function on and do my job. So, um, as far as like the citizen route goes, uh, I've had people in the grocery store say things to me, um, you know, cause with the structure department, we, we shop daily for dinner. We go as a crew yeah. and buy dinner and then make it. Um, I've had people say things to me there and I kind of just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like have a good day or whatever don't really chime in because it's the public, you know, what am I going to say? I don't want to look like an asshole. So, um, that one's kind of like, you just kind of got to rub it off. But then I've had people on calls. Uh, I had a guy one time get in my face and he said, Hey, do you think that you could do this job as good as them? Like, cause I was obviously with my crew, two men. Hey, do you think that you could do this job as good as them? Do you think you're good enough? As I'm trying to go into a house and like run a medical aid on this person. And I looked at him and me being me, I said, no, because I'm just a sarcastic asshole, but I didn't like want to, you know, find anything he was saying. So I just said, nope. And like walked by and kept doing my job. My engineer behind me walks up to him and says, yeah, and better than half of our department. And then walks by and Good. like left it at that. And for me, I think giving them a response of like, instead of giving into it and arguing with them or trying to be like, well, yeah, like I, you know, it's like if arguing I just with get, idiots. Yeah. If I literally am just like, nope, no, I suck. Then I just leave it at that. <laughs> As, you know, it, it's not right, but it's more of like a, for me, I'm like, oh, whatever. At least they're not going to say anything to me. Um, I have had that a couple times. Yeah. And this motherfucker was like in my face right off the get go for no reason, you know? And so it was irritating, but I'm like, whatever, dude. So yeah, kind of just like blew it off. And then he literally had nothing else to say after that. Cause I think he don't know. He didn't know what to say. Yeah. Um, it just but, kind of like startled him and put him back in his place. And like, yeah, there was like no argument to be had. It kind of like disarmed him. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't, a lot of times, if you don't like play into something that somebody wants, they're going to just leave you alone. Yeah. They're just trying um, to get a rise out of you and like get a reaction. Yeah. And that's what they're after. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I know all too all about that because a lot of times, <laughs> whether it's like funny or not, you will get a reaction out of me because I can't help it. I'm trying to work on that. But like my stepdad, for example, love him to death. He will fuck with me till the day he dies because he knows that he will get a reaction out of me. <laughs> and I'm like, you fucking asshole. So uh, there are people like that sometimes that get to me. But in instances like that, I'm like, whatever. Um, but yeah, as far as like at work too, um, definitely had people who... Uh, 
don't believe in me that uh, like I had a shift partner once that was not stoked to have me definitely didn't think I could do the job. And honestly, I just confronted him a couple of times. I was like, Hey man, uh, I know that you don't think I can do this, but I'm going to prove to you that I can. And at the end of the day, yeah, it, it matters because you're my shift partner and like, we're supposed to be there for each other and we're supposed to do a good job, but yeah, like the world isn't going to end if you don't like me and you don't respect me. So I'm going to do me and I'm going to do my best to show you that I'm trying. And as long as you see that, like, hopefully it'll come around yeah. and he did and things went well because I expressed it right off the bat. And this was the thing that happened multiple times. This was not an overnight thing. This was a thing where I had to be like, Hey man, like, why are you such an asshole? Like I'm fucking trying. Can you please see that? Um, I've also ran into things where it's like, uh, you know, maybe somebody doesn't like you or they're like, Oh, well, I don't like her because of this. And I'm like, okay, but does that have anything to do with my work ethic? Yeah. Because if it doesn't, then shut the fuck up. Yeah. Does that mean that doesn't mean I still don't have your back on the, on the yes. job, on the firegrounds? Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is like, you're going to run into people that you are not going to change their minds. Not everyone is going to like you. No, that's just a fact of life. Yes. In life, in this job, whatever, you're not going to make everybody happy. Um, not everyone's going to respect you. You're not going to make friends everywhere you go. There's going to be one person probably, especially if you work on like a hot shot crew with that many people, like you're not going to make everybody happy. No. Um, it's just the way it goes. There's going to be one person who's always going to hate you or not like you or pick a reason that they're not going to like be supportive of you or whatever. Um, and the best thing that I have found for myself is confrontation. Um, not in a bad way, but just like, Hey man, um, I'm trying, I'm trying to do my best. And I know that maybe you don't like me or I know that maybe you don't want me here, but I'm going to be here and like, sorry, but it's just the way that it is. And, uh, hopefully you'll come around to the idea that I can do this and hopefully I can prove to you that I'm going to be a good hand or whatever it is. Most of the time that has worked out for me just because I went out of my way to show them like, Hey, I care. And Hey, I'm like, trying to do a good job here. I'm not here for like the wrong reasons or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, As far as like people in people on the internet, that happens a lot. Um, Internet's not a real place though. Yeah. It's not, it's just not, it's not. And that's kind of one of those things where like, you just have to ignore it. Um, cause like what's with any situation, what good is there arguing with a stranger on the internet, you know? Oh, I'm sorry about your basement. Is it dark yeah. in there? Yeah. Did mom exactly. not make you some meatloaf? <laughs> exactly. I get uh, that occasionally, but I, yeah, I mean, there, everybody's going to, there's always going to be haters in life and you just got to let their hate kind of feel your fire, I guess. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, man, there are people too. I ran into this. It's very weird. Um, there are people who really like me for, my work ethic and, uh, just the fact that I like to work and I like to do a job and like, I, I'm, you know, pretty good at my job. And yeah. you take a lot of pride like, in it. I do. Yeah. And, and people like captains can rely on me if I'm working for them. Like, Oh, you know, I can treat her like an adult. She's going to know what to do, whatever. But there's like 
oh, she swears too much. So I don't like her. Okay. Sorry. At least like you respect me and like the work I can do. I'm like, sorry, you don't like my mouth, but, um, you know, that's another tricky thing you're going to run into a lot too. It's like, they might not, they might not like talk shit about you as a worker, but they might not like you for like one thing that you do, which is very hard. I don't like it. I think that's, I'm like, well, yeah, that sucks. But as long as they want to work with me and be around me and like, they trust me to do what they're asking me to do. I guess that that's better than nothing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 well, that's the thing though, is like, it's, why are you getting your panties in a twist for something so irrelevant? Right. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. No, <laughs> it doesn't really it doesn't. matter. As long as you're, you know, doing your job proficiently, you're having each other's backs when the time comes and yeah, just, just being a decent human. I mean, I, I think that's the biggest, biggest takeaway there is just don't let the small shit ruin a greater good. Yeah. And furthermore, definitely. don't let perfect get in the way of, something that's already good. Totally. I agree with you there. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's the, the little things is like the personality uh, differences that everybody has. And that's another thing too, is like you kind of pointed out there and you kind of alluded to it that when you have personality conflicts or personality differences, you don't necessarily get along. I mean, there's really something there's some things you can only go so far about what you can do to correct and like kind of steer that ship in the right direction to where you guys can get on the same page. But also sometimes, like you said, there's just not like the hotshot crew member that just doesn't like you for whatever this, that, and the other who gives a shit. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, yeah, I would like to make friends, but we got a job to do. Exactly. You're not always, unfortunately, you're not always going to resolve everything that comes up. No. And that's just a part of life. Yeah. But But you can try and you can do your best and, you know, feel better about trying and putting in the effort. Yeah. Well, I think attitude has a lot to do with that. And just, you know, letting the small shit like roll off your back. I think that has a a huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah. As far as, what's that? I was just saying it definitely does. Oh, hundred percent. As far as um, going through all of these things, these things that you had to do and the shit that you put up with, and more specifically, let's talk about the f- like fitness component about uh, getting through your first couple uh, seasons on an engine with Cal Fire, and then how it led into that. Because you were saying you you mentioned earlier that you lost eighteen pounds in, over the course of one season. That's that's a lot of weight, man. And especially, yeah. I mean, you're a bodybuilder. Well, I wouldn't say bodybuilder, but you're into powerlifting and that's going to kind of like mess with you a little bit, especially being so like ingrained in powerlifting and like having musculature that you could actually, you know, be functional with for your passion, which is powerlifting to like give that up and to sacrifice that to hike and run better and be a more functional uh, crew member. That's going to fuck with your head a little bit. Just a little bit. I, I know it's got it. I know it's a, a means to an end, but yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was hard. Um, it was definitely hard. I loved being the strong one. I loved just lifting weights and, uh, I used to compete and I was all about it. I'm like, this is cool whatever. And then kind of getting into, even before Hell Attack, 
when I was out hiking and stuff, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm a decent hiker. I'm definitely not fast, but like I can, my main thing was I can hike with a hose pack on. I can do it. That's, you know, what I cared about at the time. Um, cause that's like pretty much what they ask of you. There are people who can't do it. Um, I seen people that can't do it that, you know, I work with and I'm like, literally the smallest thing they ask me is to hike with a pack on your back. So if I can't do that, then I, you know, don't want to do this. So was fine with that, whatever, super into lifting weights. And then, um, yeah, like that transition you're saying, I think I just wanted it so bad. I wanted so badly to show them when I got up there that I cared and that I was trying to like be better at the job and I wanted to be more efficient. Um, cutting line. I wanted to have better endurance on the saw. I wanted to be a faster hiker. I wanted to be somebody that wasn't always last on every crew run we went on. I, I fucking hate losing and being last. <laughs> so just, that was also a part of it too. It was being very competitive. Uh, I just, I wanted to feel more a part of the crew. And I felt like if I did a better job of, um, being able to do those things more efficiently that it would help. And it did. And it paid off. And I'm super happy. I don't regret any of it. Um, however, that being said, it was definitely hard. Um, my deadlift went from like 315 to 285. I still to this day cannot deadlift more than like, I don't know, 280. Can't do it. Don't care. I used to care a lot. I used to get super mad. I used to be like, you know what? This sucks. I used to be so strong, whatever. Now I'm like, whatever, fuck it. Like 280 is not bad. Don't care. So, um, yeah. And it was weird. Cause I would go left and stuff. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like I've definitely noticed I've lost some strength and I'm, you know, I used to say it all the time. I'm training strength for, um, speed. Yeah. Basically definitely got into more, uh, CrossFit type stuff, more running. Um, I was running probably like five days a week at the time. And I think I just got so hooked on seeing my times and seeing like my mile times drop and stuff that I was so stoked. It was like something new to focus on that. I wasn't so wrapped up in like my numbers, uh, with my compound lifts. Um, and then also I realized another hard part for me, still to this day, I still struggle with this. Uh, I can't just go crush a insane leg workout because then I can't run for like the next three days. <laughs> <laughs> Legs are just done. Yeah. I'm like, cool. I can't do this. So, um, yeah, that was like another thing for me. I'm like, damn it. I actually care about like running and shit now. So I can't just like do that all the time. Um, so I ended up finding this happy medium and now I'm like, pretty well off with, uh, you know, like a picking a leg conditioning day and, uh, you know, not going super heavy or if I want to run, I'm going to do upper body or I'm going to do some sort of, uh, you know, Olympic weightlifting conditioning, stuff like that, just so I can like manage my, um, soreness better, I guess is a good way to put it. Simple way yeah, to put it. Your recovery soreness. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think throughout that time, with my job, it just became more apparent to me that I was, I was more concerned and, and needless to say, like, there are people I work with, uh, especially a lot of guys that didn't have to try. And that's just, it's just the way it is. There are a that's lot of a guys big thing though, right there. I mean, the difference from a strictly a biological context, right? Mm -hmm. 
men have this wonderful hormone called testosterone and they have a lot more of it than women do. So for men, the amount of effort they have to put into a workout to see results. Well, women have to work three to four times as hard to get the same output and the same results period. I'm just going to, it's just the way it is. You said it and it's there now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say it. I'll stand by that. And I have the utmost respect for women that like kick ass and bust their asses in the gym and weight lift and just crush workouts and keep up with all this because they have to work so much harder than guys. No, fuck yeah. I'm right there with you. I love seeing it. It's fucking awesome. Um, But it's just the way it is. It's like, I used to get so mad because there was, (laughs) there's a guy I work with, love him, would go, you know, in the off season and uh, not really like run or do anything. He'd maybe go on like one run a week or something come back and just absolutely crush me and just eat ice cream at night and shit. Yeah. I'm like, he's drinking IPAs and downing a pint of Jerry's. It's like, (sighs) I'm like, dude, this sucks. But you just come to this realization. You're like, it's just the way it is. Like we are just different humans. He's a dude and I'm a chick and we're built differently and our hormones are different and it's fine. Like I chose to put myself in that position. I chose myself to submerse into this career. And this is like a very like blanket statement. I put myself in a male dominated career. So that is a personal choice. And anything else that comes after that is how much I want to work at it, how much I want to um, try, how much I want to make a difference, you know, any of those things. Like it's up to me. I don't care what anybody else says. I am a strong believer in like, since the day I started, I chose to do this and I don't think anybody should have to change anything. I don't think there should be different fitness standards. I don't think any of that bullshit. And, uh, I think that's why I also like never really got mad about the, like having to try harder. Yeah. It bothered me some days. Cause I'm like, God damn it. I'm trying so hard. Like I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying to like run faster. I'm trying to do this. It sucked, but I never blamed it on anybody else because it was my choice. Um, I could have easily sat back and stayed the way that I was because I already had a spot on Hell Attack. And I could have been like, well, I got up here. Yeah, that's kind of a cop out though. Yeah, I didn't want to do that. Why would I want to do that? I wanted to be better. You know, and needless to say, like, yeah, I wasn't the best up there, but I definitely made progress and I definitely was like commended for it. And that's yeah. what I wanted. I well, wanted more, to just be more importantly. I mean, that's another thing too, I think is like you earned their respect, right? You earned your crew members respect in your unit, your now structure department, you've earned their respect as far as your position on, I guess your position within the departments. Right. Yeah. And that's something that everybody has to do. That's not a yes. unique thing to just women. 100%. It's very, uh, Universal is the right word I was looking for. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Going along with that, uh, there were definitely people that I ran into in the past departments and people I ran into um, in my current department, um, even other departments too, that uh, 
don't try hard and it makes you mad. There's people that just straight up don't have like the fitness level that other people do. There are, and I can say this just like as an example, because I, because I know it because it's a fact and because I know it because I've been told by so many fucking people, I'm not just saying this. There are guys that I work with that I am way stronger than like, that's fine. It's because I work out and it's because of like how many years I've spent investing in like lifting weights and being strong and building muscle. It's fine. Whatever. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, that's just the way it is. Um, but yeah, it's just like this weird, weird thing with fitness. Like I just made this like huge transition, uh, going into worrying more about my conditioning and my job and whatnot. And then coming to Reading, I kind of like backed off a little bit and I was like, Hey, I can start like lifting heavier now. You know, I don't necessarily have to be in like the same shape that I was in. However, I kept my running up because I was like, you know what? I actually really feel good about these mile times. And I feel good about being able to go out and go for a run and being like, all right, cool. I'm going to go crash like a few miles and feel better or whatever. Um, yeah, it's chasing something that makes you happy. Yeah, exactly. It was just kind of, it was like a new thing for me. Yeah. Um, and growing up, my mom ran marathons and stuff forever too. So it was kind of like one of those things that I was always around, but I wasn't good at. So it's something for me to work on. Uh, she's badass. She just crushed Still, my mom and I will still go for runs sometimes. And she's still, you know, I'm crushing it. So, um, yeah, but going along with that, I just kind of got like fully submersed into um, taking better care of myself all the way around. And then coming to writing, it was like, uh, okay, now I can find a happy medium and focus on something that uh, I want to do. I don't necessarily have to be job specific, but I still try to be job specific just because like, I still throw sandbags on my shoulders and get on the Stairmaster. I still throw a saw on my shoulder and go hike the fucking mountain behind uh, the shots like hot shots. I still do stuff like that because I still go out on fires. I still have to hike. Like, you know, I still have to be functional. Yeah. I still have to be functional. I still have to put like hose on my shoulder and do my job. I still have to pull ceiling. That's just super fucking tiring. Like I can train all I want and go pull ceiling in a house. And I'm like, my shoulders are fucking fried, dude. Like, it's, it's so funny. Like some of these things you think you're in good shape and then you go do it and you're like, holy fuck. So, um, it's just still like job dependent, but also at the same time, like some things you just can't train for, um, which is like super humbling too. Cause I like to think, you know, I'm like, I'm in pretty good shape. I, I lift and I run and I do whatever. Like I'm, I'm pretty well known for like being healthy and active and whatnot, but there's still some things at work. I'm like, God damn, that killed me. Um, so yeah, that's been fun. But, uh, yeah, other than that, I work, uh, it's been super cool. Like connecting with some of the guys that like, when I first started, they're like, Oh, what kind of workouts do you do? You know, like, what do you want to do? And, or I just be doing something by myself and they're like, Holy shit let's work out. And so now there's a bunch of guys I work with. They're like, yeah, fuck yeah. Where are we going to work out today? Like, you know, like, Hey, you want to go run? You want to go run the park? Like, Hey, you want to do some fucked up partner workout? You want to do some, you know, <laughs> you want to just do shit? Murph just for fun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's so cool. Cause there's a, there's a, quite a few guys I work with that are like down to do stuff like that. Um, 
And so it's cool. Cause I'll be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to write this workout on the board. And then I'll get like, you know, a few of them to do it with me. And it's just nice. And especially like, I have so many people, uh, that I share workouts with, um, like I'll, I'll write workouts and then I'll post them on social media. I do it all the time. And, uh, even people from other departments will be like, Oh yeah, I say this. And then, you know, like me and my crew did it this day, or I did it this day or whatever. And so it's like nice to have that connection with people, um, which also makes fitness like really cool too. That and the whole nutrition side too. So I feel like about to over, say the nutrition has a big part in that. Yes. And I feel like over the last like three to four years, I've gotten so crazy into the nutrition. Um, my fitness has always stayed the same. I feel like I'm at like a pretty good place right now where I'm like very functional, very, uh, I feel like I'm like pretty level across the board right now. Yeah. Um, pretty even keeled as far as like whatever you can lift heavy, you can run, you can do like high complexity movements, compound movements, yeah, all that stuff. It's very fun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Trying to keep it more like, uh, balanced, I guess. And I'm focusing more on like listening to my body and, uh, you know, just trying to be in shape. So, but not trying to like over. It's been nice. Um, yeah, but just like the nutrition too comes hand in hand with it. And, uh, I always, preach to people at work. Like I'm in charge of the hydration at work. Um, that's my cadre. So I have a contract with drip drop and I got us that last year. Um, so that's our electrolytes. And I always preach to people like, you know, drink your electrolytes and Gatorade tastes like cough syrup and blah, blah, blah. It so. does. And it <laughs> makes your stomach wildly upset. At least mine. I mean, yeah. you know what? It's speaking of the uh, powdered electrolyte stuff, um, electrolyte replacements. I've been into the, what is that? Element the limit. Yeah. Is it, I thought it was element L M N T. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That is some good (sighs) shit. Yeah. There's a lot of guys at work that take the, they use like the chocolate sea salt one and they put it in their coffee. I'm all about the mango habanero. Okay. See, I've never tried it. (laughs) It's super good. I might have some, I'll, I'll I'll mail you some. That would be awesome because I've only tried the chocolate sea salt one and I'm like, this is not good. No, that one's a little thick. (laughs) It's strong. It's super strong. Yeah. It's supposed to be crazy yeah i'd have to like break that packs in half but okay uh, that makes sense that makes way more sense because i remember the first time i like dumped it into my coffee and i was like holy fuck i am drinking salt water coffee exactly like how do you guys do this and they're like that's not what we do and i was like oh okay (laughs) thanks for the heads up guys (laughs) yeah appreciate you i fucked up (laughs) today i learned (laughs) but yeah i mean anyways i'm sorry off of the element thing there oh you're good so the nutrition part of it, um, you've been super into nutrition for quite some time and I've seen some of your cooking on your Instagram and it looks freaking delicious. But as far as like what goes into that, it's not just like fancy looking food, which it looks good, but it's also like very, um, purpose driven as well. Yes. So explain some uh, of that. Thank you for that. First of all, um, I love cooking. I think that that also stems from, being in the fire service because you have to be a good cook if you're going to work, you know, not necessarily like I say this coming from like a Cal fire structure standpoint, when you're with the feds, you really don't have to be a good cook. Uh, 
depending on who you are. I mean, if you're going to go work for the Wyoming hotshots and have that badass fucking setup that they do. Yeah. I would want to be a good cook too, but <laughs> they all, not every hotshot crew functions that way. No, usually it's like freeze dried meals or like yeah. ready wise or hot cans or and MREs, hot cans, MREs. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, when I say this, it's coming from obviously my standpoint. Um, but yeah, kind of when I got to, I, I lucked out cause like, my mom was always a really good cook growing up. And then like in high school, I was pretty much on my own. So I always had to cook for myself. So I learned like at a young age, you know, just like basic shit. Um, and then I was a server for like seven years. So I was always in a restaurant. So I was always observing, always like trying food and, you know, figuring out what I liked, whatever. Um, and then obviously I could see like how things were being made. So, um, fast forward, I don't know. I always tried to care, but like, didn't really know what I was doing. And then started getting into like your basic standard, uh, bodybuilder diet when I was like 18, 19 chicken, rice and broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> fucking horrible. Dude. Gross. Oh my God. Awful. And so, yeah, I was like with that experimenting started like reading, researching, whatever. Um, and then kind of like dabbled a little bit here and there. And then when I got into fire, I was like, okay, you know, you got to have like a meal to make. You got to learn how to, um, you got, you need to learn how to cook. You need to know what you're doing, you know, whatever. Like people judge you in the fire service. You don't know what the fuck you're doing. cooking. Fair. I mean, in general, but cooking. So, um, yeah, needless to say, when I got hired at Cal fire at my station, there were about 20, I want to say like a fair number is like 25 people on per day that you're feeding for lunch and dinner. That's a lot of meals that you have to prepare. So when you're, and that's where I started and that's where I ended. That's all I ever knew. Um, so cooking and sometimes there's more than that. I even took overtime to cook for like the new hire academies, which is like 40 fucking people. So I learned how to cook for like a huge amount of people. And so that's obviously going to change your meals because you're not going to make something super intricate for that many people. But at the same time, if you're just cooking for like a crew in the wintertime, then you can make your like intricate meals. So it kind of came through a lot of like trial and error and just seeing like, okay, I need to learn how to like barbecue and smoke shit. And, um, like I need to know good things that I can bake in the oven. I need to know good things that I can make on a skillet, like whatever. Um, so yeah, I just kind of got like super into it after that. And then, uh, started cooking more on my own at home and just being like more aware of what I was putting in my body, uh, really kind of came into it as well. And then, um, I went through a bunch of phases of flavor and then not using seasonings. Cause I thought like, Oh, seasonings are bad because they have sodium, you know, whatever. <laughs> Sodium's good for you. <laughs> you I know. And so, and it's these, these things that you just don't know. And it's like through trial and error of like research and, you know, maybe bad research, good research, or just like being told things by people. And you just kind of like run with it. Even on top of that, I mean, nutrition is kind of a science experiment of what works for you. It's not one size fits exactly. all. Be like everybody yes. can say like, Oh, follow the paleo diet. Well, that just shit that, that just might not work for your body or what you need. Oh, totally. It's I'm, individual. Yes. I am like a huge advocate of, experimenting with yourself, figuring out what works. Like, don't think that just because keto carnivore, whatever will work for somebody else does not mean it will work for you. I tried, I tried fucking keto because I wanted to eat bacon and shit every day. And I was like, yeah, I want to eat 
I know. I'm like, I want to eat hello bacon. I want to eat this. I don't eat that. And I tried it and I was like, this is horrible. I feel like shit. So I didn't do it, you know? Yeah. Um, but I tried it and then I found that it didn't work. And that's just kind of like one of the things you do, but yeah. So, um, started getting like more in tune with my body, uh, started figuring out like optimization, uh, nutrient optimization for, um, my body composition and figuring out that I, there's so much more to just losing weight or gaining weight. It's like body recomposition and my macros, my fats, carbs, proteins, and then started getting to my micronutrients and then started getting into like nutrient timing. Um, okay. Getting super in depth with it. Super, super in depth. Um, and this has been over the last like three years, probably I've gotten like super in depth. And so yeah, coming into work here was hard at first because not every, like, not everybody wants to eat like that. And so you have, you kind of have to understand like, you okay, I want to eat like, my way, yeah. but you, yeah, you have to be like even keel. So, um, even making like variations of things for people was kind of where I learned, uh, okay, I can make this, but I'm going to make it like a healthier way. and. They liked it. Nice. So it's a win. Yeah. And then every once in a while too, it's like, okay, I'm just going to make something that's going to make them happy because like, that's what it's about as a crew. Like just make something that everybody wants to eat. And for example, even I used to do this. I got really, really good at this with my ex-boyfriend because he could eat whatever he wanted, um, you know, and be fine. And so like, if I was making something for dinner, I would make him like a side of rice or I'd make like, okay, here you want, we'll have burgers, but I'll give you a bun and I'm going to eat mine on lettuce. Yeah. Like just super, super small stuff like that. I started doing it work too, where even now I do it where I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm going to make, um, you know, steak and I'm going to put like, I'm going to make bruschetta. I'm going to make bruschetta steak and I'll put that on top of it. And I'm like, cool. I'm going to make a salad on the side. And then I'm gonna make you fuckers garlic bread because y'all need your carbs. And I like carbs, but I don't eat bread. So I'm like, I'm gonna make you guys bread so that you're happy, but I don't want it. So I'm just not gonna eat it. Yeah. Or like same thing where, you know, like last night I made sweet potatoes and everybody likes sweet potatoes that I work with. And I like sweet potatoes and I'll eat them. So I'm like, cool, that's our carb tonight. Dude, I got a recipe for sweet potatoes. I'm gonna send you one. You might like it. Fuck yeah. I fucking love them. They're so good. Funny story, little tangent real quick about this dinner last night. I tried to make this dinner on Monday. Today's Thursday. I tried to make this dinner on Monday and we got a, uh, got a fucking fire. (laughs) And uh, never fails. Yeah. And got this like idea for dinner. I was like, oh my God, it's going to be so good. Blah, blah, blah. Get a fucking fire. Don't even get to eat it. Fine. We ended up getting a Maxwell's, which is a bar like across the street from my station. And they have like really good burgers. So we ended up getting burgers after this fire. And it was a, oh my God, what was this bench fire? I don't even remember, but it fucking sucked. And so we got back, got the burgers, whatever. So I was like, okay, I'll just save them for Wednesday, which was yesterday, right? So, So... Yesterday rolls around and I try to make this meal again, get it set on the table, take like three bites, 
get a fucking badge fire. <laughs> shit, <laughs> shit sits on the table for four hours. Get back from this fire. And I'm like, you know what? I'm so hungry. So I just like eat my cold food. And then I'm like, I need to take a shower. Go take a shower. Get another fucking batch fire. I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I was like, it's this fucking meal. Like, I'm never making this again. And it was so good too. And I was so bummed. And uh, I, it was just like this barbecue chicken that I had marinating for at this point, two days, which made it way better. Uh, and then I had this salad I made with watermelon, strawberries, cucumber, and mint. I just like chopped it all up and mixed together. Threw it over mixed greens with poppy seed dressing. And then I did sweet potatoes in the Dutch oven with... Um, cinnamon sugar and butter nice and so i was like super stoked i'm like this is a pretty healthy dinner minus like the stuff that's on the sweet potatoes and it was super good and when i made them cornbread too for them not for me again because i'm not selfish and (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so it ended up being like a super good dinner but I like took this like really nice video of it and posted it on my food instagram (laughs) and i was like can you get to enjoy it <laughs> Look at this beautiful meal I made, and I never got to eat a bite of it. Yeah. So now it's def- it's definitely moral of the story is I've gotten very creative with my cooking. I'm not afraid of fucking seasonings anymore. I'm very aware and conscious of um, my minerals, my micronutrients, my macronutrients. I'm very aware of like I carb cycle. I don't eat gluten. I don't eat dairy. Um, dairy because I'm lactose intolerant. Gluten because I just don't feel as great with it. I can eat it every once in a while. I do. For me, that's like a cheat if I eat gluten. Um, it's more just a personal choice. Uh, I'm not going to die if I eat it. But um, yeah, that and then like I eat mostly wild game uh, unless I'm buying something for dinner at work. Then that's the only time really that I'll buy like regular meat. Um because I'm such a big hunter, I hear at home every meal I make, which I, I know you've seen a lot of the meals that I make, most of the time they're with wild game. Yeah. Uh, just because that's all I eat. That and fish that like we catch. So nice. Um I just like it that way. And and I don't like buying meat from the store because a lot of it is just depending on where you go, like, especially safe or whatever, it's just not like the best for you. Um, if you go to the butcher shop, fine, whatever. And at the same time, like sometimes it's just more affordable to do it that way, which is fine. Like it's just the way society is right now. Um, hunting is but, expensive. And so is meat. Pick, well, one yeah, or the other. Pick one or it's, the other. They're both expensive. Exactly. And so that's why I don't, that's why I don't do both. I'm like, okay, well I'm hunting and my freezer's full or my fucking free freezers. Cause I'm crazy. Uh, <laughs> once for then, elk, once for mule deer, once for yep, blacktail. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, cool. I need another one. Cool. I need another one every year. This is awesome. So hey, at least you're getting tags. I got skunked out. This is my third year in a row. I haven't gotten a single tag. Yep. Dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm bummed for you. I'm bummed for me too. <laughs> I'm trying to, I drew a B tag here. I got a cow tag in Idaho again, and then I'm waiting for the rest of Idaho to come out to see if I drew anything. But other than that, I got a deer hunt in Montana too. Nice. Um, so we'll see what else, but, uh, already right there. That's all that could be three animals. Yeah. And that's a I lot of food. That's it's like food for like a year. Yeah. Plus. Last year. And giving away some. Yes. Last year I shot three or four animals last season. So nice. that's pretty good. That's a lot. Um, 
And I know a lot of people out there that are listening. They're like, oh, you guys hunt. Ma, you're unethical or something like that. I'm like, mm, let's pump the brakes here because one, I'm you and I are skilled hunters. Yes. And two, you should see what uh, production cattle farming looks like when they go to slaughter. It is not pretty. It is not peaceful. It is no. wildly violent and it is wildly unethical. Now, a skilled yeah. hunter. It's over quick. It's wildly more ethical. Yeah. My opinion. That, go ahead. and hate know, on me. No. I don't care. Yeah, no, I'm 100% with you. And that not even that. It's like. We eat it no. like. Like I just said, this is what I fucking eat every day at home. And it's, it's processed completely different than it is, you know, than something that's pumped with hormones or, Antibiotics, you know, injected. through a gigantic, exactly. like, I don't know, conveyor belt assembly line butchered. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, it's not so pretty. It's a very, like, I think once you like, even some, you know, some people fine. You're never going to fucking win them over. But when you explain stuff like that, some people do come around. They're like, Oh yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Like I've, I've had that discussion with people where they're like, I've had people message me and be like, what do you see when you shoot that animal? Like I see my fucking freezer full, like, come on, you know, I don't just shoot things for fun. I really don't. I do not hunt things that I'm not going to eat. I, I, that's the way that I am personally. I don't care if you do. My dad is a trophy hunter. I don't care. It's what I grew up around. But for me personally, I'm like, I hunt to eat it. So there's a certain respect that you have to have for an animal and a certain amount of humility and understanding of life when you have to take, when you're the person behind the trigger or the bow or whatever you're using and you take another animal's life to sustain your own, there's a certain amount of uh, respect that is given there for the animal. Yes, I completely agree with you. And I think that's why there's like cool, um, like traditions that people have and kind of like some spiritual things and whatnot, kind of like with me. Yeah. There's just like a lot of cool shit that other people do too. And I think that's like a cool thing to like respect the animal. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I think it's cool important not saying like everybody has to do that but well then that's it's, another thing it's stewardship i mean that's another thing too is the stewardship a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the money that goes into drawing tags buying tags for even buying the stuff that you need like excise tax that is going directly back into conservation mm-hmm. for these animals yeah no it's a real thing and oh, yeah. i think all it takes sometimes is for people to like like you to explain that to them or for them to do their research or to like understand. And then some people come around, obviously some people don't, but well, it's a disconnect, right? We, uh, we have a disconnection between supermarket and food and relo- re- the relationship between recognizing food at a supermarket is where our food comes from that supermarket. Yeah. That's not the case. No, 100%. It's a very hidden thing our food our food's very there's a disconnect for sure 100 percent. i know i'm trying to think of like the right way to put it but disconnect is the best way you're saying it way better than i am right now oh yeah 100 percent. well yeah i mean we can get into the whole hunting thing and i could ramble on for hours about hunting and the ethics behind it and like what it the benefits and the there are downsides to it of course and there's like with anything there's the good but the bad yeah Um, but yeah i mean yeah Hard to say. <laughs> Anyways, so you're passionate about this, and this is like, like the the fitness, the uh, nutrition, 
all this effort that goes in behind like becoming successful in your career. And this is like, this is like for everybody, like you have to put in the effort and you have to put in the work to be successful, period. Like no shit. And you said it yourself. It's 100% up to you. Mm -hmm. So if you had any recommendations to the people that are out there that are having uh, second thoughts or they're apprehensive about getting into the bigger side of fire, say, um, I just had an ADHD moment. Say they, uh, <laughs> I'll get back to you. I, I held myself back there. The nutrition comment. So say they're apprehensive or not wanting to get into that, uh, next level or follow their passion. What would you have to say to those folks out there? Uh, number one, you will never know if you can do it unless you try it. Um, number two, I will always try as hard as I can at something and keep trying to see if, uh, it's attainable, if I can do it. And I just like surprise myself and I didn't think I could do it. Or sometimes you're going to run into things that you just, you know, it's just not going to work out and that's fine. But yeah. Move on to the next thing. Yeah, it's like, trying is the biggest thing here. Um, And preparing and figuring out like, okay, what do I need to do to get to this goal and be better at it? Um, Obviously, I already expressed like, I became a better runner and did all the shit to like, get to a better point on the crew. Now, when it comes to working for a structure department and just a different level of fitness, um, you know, throwing sandbags on my shoulders and getting on the stairs because it's wearing a BA in full turnout gear with the hose bundle on your shoulder is a lot different than things that I did before. And so if you train that way, you're going to do better and you're going to have a better chance of, um, succeeding at what you're trying to do that. And the same thing with ladders. There are so many people, especially chicks, that struggle with throwing ground ladders and it's a technique thing. So if you're not going to put in the time and the effort to learn better technique and just go out there and try and try and try, it's probably not going to happen for you. And granted there are, I've seen it. Uh, there are some people who are just too small that their bodies just cannot physically keep up with the demand that there is to throw a 24 foot ground ladder. And that's, that's fine. But they tried, you know, hopefully, and they put in the effort and that's all you can do is at least admit an attempt to get better at it. Yeah, exactly. If you, cause if you don't try and if you don't like put in the effort to get to where you want to be, you can't blame anyone but yourself. And so the best thing I could say is like, don't ever doubt yourself. Don't ever give up without putting in a solid effort. And even then don't give up. Just understand like sometimes things will not work out and you just have to try as hard as you possibly can and think of things that are going to help you benefit in that area. Um, like for me, like I said, getting on the stairs with a sandbag, or I do a lot of like heavy sled pulls and sled pushes. I do a lot of rope climbs. Um, I do a lot of push-ups, pull-ups, dips. Uh, what else? Obviously a lot of like lifting compound stuff, but all that stuff builds my upper body in different ways to where it's easier for me to have a ladder on my shoulder and walk with it for a longer period of time to throw it, to raise it 
It's easier for me to hold a saw for long periods of time if I'm on a roof. Um, it's easier for me to pull ceiling for a long time. Like I said, that shit still fries my shoulders every single time. Um, I have tried so hard <laughs> to try to, uh, that's like kind of where like the rope climbs come in is that personally has helped me a lot with getting that, um, upper body mobility in my shoulders and having that strength. Yeah. So I think, I think it's just kind of one of those things where you've got to think about like, okay, what's like real life movement. What can I do in the gym? That's going to help, um, or outside of the gym, you know, whatever. Um, what can I do that's going to help me build these areas to make it better for me when I'm doing these certain skills or like if I want to get into, you know, a certain avenue in the job, you know, kind of, kind of take a step back and look at it and be like, okay, what is my job going to entail and what do I need to do to get there? And as long as you're willing to put in the effort and try and work at it and ask for help too, you know, I think that's a big thing too, is um, don't ever be afraid to ask for help because there are people that did it before you and there's people that are better and better at it than you. So you want to talk to those people and not just try to don't always try to go at it alone. And that was a, that's a, was a learning curve for me before. So how's that? That's a good answer. Yeah. There's a lot of people that I've noticed in our industry, whether it be wildlander structure or whatever that are really like reluctant to ask for help. I don't know if it's like a stubborn pride thing or like, oh yeah, I'm a professional problem solver. I can like do this shit. I can figure it out on my own. That, yeah, that, that mentality needs to kind of, uh, diminish a little bit, I I guess, because I, I think that we're really apprehensive about asking for people for help when we probably need it the most. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. And I'm not going to lie. I am horrible at asking for help sometimes with like certain things but when it comes to things like that that I was just talking about and it comes to things in the job I definitely ask questions I definitely like turn to other people who have those experiences because not only you're not gonna learn everything by yourself in this job but it's also cool to like have somebody to look up to and yeah. Yeah. And it makes them feel good too. There are people out there who it, it makes them feel good to be someone that like, Oh, this firefighter came to me to say about this, or, you know, they, you know, actually like what I have to say about this experience or they trust my opinion or my judgment or whatever it is, you know? Um, so it's never a bad thing for sure to ask for that. And I think I definitely relate to, like the hard headedness of not asking for help in like certain aspects of my life. My mom tells me all the time. She's like, you need to let people help you. You need to let, especially guys like you need (laughs) to let people help you. You need to learn how to like, it's okay. You know? Yeah. You can help me, you know, do whatever. Um, but it's fucking hard. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. One of those things where like, if you kind of separate it into the work versus life and you go, to the work mode and you're like, you know what? Don't look at it as a weakness. Look at it as you're trying to learn and you're trying to progress and better yourself. And then if you look at it that way, it's way easier to ask people for help rather than like, Oh, I'm weak or I don't know, or I can't do it on my own. Just like totally flip your mindset and it'll be way easier. Oh yeah. 
No, the, the mentorship thing too. And that just looking for mentors too, you know, like recognizing someone that anybody can be a mentor really. Yeah. Yeah. Even people that are giving you bad experiences, I guess you could say like uh, a bad, say bad leadership, even they can be a mentor to a degree, right? You can learn a lot yeah. of shit from people that are doing things wrong. Oh yeah. I, I, uh, I wouldn't seek worked, them out for career advice, but no, <laughs> I worked, I worked <laughs> for a captain before that. Uh, he was telling me, he's like, no, I worked for this, you know, this certain individual and he taught me everything that I did not want to do as a captain. And so kind of like what you just said, that's, that's also important because you can observe and be a part of things where you're like, I don't ever want to be like that. Um, or I don't ever want to make those decisions or whatever it may be. Oh yeah. No, it's important. And my ADHD moment there, uh, when we were flashback to talking about nutrition, uh, for the hot shots and folks out there that are seasonal, I know that your diet is going to go to complete and utter total shit once the fire season hits. So oh, yeah. God. yeah, you got to definitely make up for it on your days off and the off season. Yes. Uh, that. It's very hard. Um, I can only broke during the winter. What's that? Especially because you're broke during the winter too. Yeah. I can only speak from my personal experience and also from kind of like partially of the forest service side. Uh, Most of the time. So with the forest service, depending on your assignments, well, with anyone, depending on your assignments, you're going to need the calories. It's not going to be the healthiest food, obviously. Uh, brown bike lunches are shit. I fucking despise them. Um, obviously there's been a huge thing in the community with trying to get that changed. Um, it needs a change. Quality. It's not quantity. It's quality. Quality. Thank you. Yeah. It's a, it's a, um, we don't need to be stuck in a time where they think that, Oh, we're giving you 4,000 calories for the day. Like that'll get you through. It's like, no. Yeah. It's the lowest common denominator shit too. Yeah. I, I don't care that you're giving me four or 5,000 calories. I care what you're expecting me to put in my body to function on a high, high stress, high activity level, uh, operational period. And I think that it's bullshit. Um, I always have, but you know, at the end of the day, it's like MREs, not the healthiest, but Half of that's better than what you're going to get in a brown bag lunch. Uh, when you think about it, if you like pick out of it, sometimes you're going to get better shit. Uh, definitely not healthy, but you know, you kind of have to make the best of what you have. Yeah. As far as that goes too. Um, I have always been a person that buys a lot of like, jerky and mixed nuts, dried fruit and stuff like that. And I stock my web gear with it because I do not want to eat what is in those lunches. And I will pick this. <laughs> this is what I do normally on fires. I will dump out in the beginning of the shift. I will dump out the entire bag and I will take out like the fruit. And if there's like mixed nuts or something, I'll take them out. And then depending on what the sandwich is, I'll take the meat out of the sandwich and then I will throw everything else away or I give it away to like people on my strike team. I'm like, Hey, you guys want this shit? 
So um, that way I don't eat anything shitty. Do I get hungry? Fuck yes, I get hungry. Um, But I'll survive. You know what I mean? Um, So I do that. And then I also keep like, if I know I'm going somewhere or uh, if we are near a town where there's a store and we're off, I nine times out of 10, I'm always going to the store and I will get like, um, I have like bone broth packets that I keep with me, which with a jet oil, super fucking easy. Oh yeah. Um, so the bone broth packets are really good. And then I also have like, um, there's like some sort of like dried noodles that you can do that are not bad. Like pho noodles, kind of, you can do that with the uh, jet oil. Also oatmeal with jet oil or at base camp. If I'm at base camp, I don't fucking eat the hot meals. I eat like <laughs> I go through, <laughs> I go through and I eat like the oatmeal, the fruit bar. That's it. Like I, I don't fuck with it, but sometimes I will fuck with it and eat that and then not eat the lunch. Yeah. And then eat like, you know, pick at it for dinner or have like something like I just said, uh, stock up on something at the store that's easy to like carry around with you for a long time. Yeah. Something if you have the like luxury of stopping at a store stop. Exactly. Yes. If you have the luxury of stopping or if you know you're going to be going out on an assignment and you're at home. Yeah. Beforehand. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Being prepared if you can, is huge. And I say that from a standpoint of having been able to do that and be in that position. Not everybody is. Um, but there are definitely, this is like one of those things where if you work for like Cal Fire, the city, whatever, you're going to be able to do that. It's all a matter of putting the effort in to trying and just making those like more conscious decisions because yeah, it's just the way it works out on fires with the, uh, shit food that we get fed. And, um, you know, sometimes you're in the middle of nowhere and you really just don't have a choice and you're hungry. You're going to eat it. You know what I mean? Um, but at the end of the day, like you can't, you know, starve yourself. No. So yeah, it's just kind of one of those things where it's just like situational kind of for sure. Yeah. I used to carry around, uh, you know, those like backpacking meals, the freeze dried ones that you just mm-hmm. add like hot water to and just let it set for five minutes and then boom, you got a meal. I used to carry yep. those around and wouldn't in my own PG gear basically. Cause there's no fucking space on a type three engine for anything extra really. Yeah. Yeah, we had a couple of those last summer. Actually, we had the um, oh, excuse you, uh, the mountain. What are they? Mountain houses? Mountain house? Yeah, mountain house. Mountain yeah. house. We had those and the the peak ones, which I started eating last year and I was hunting, and I really like those too. Those are good. Yeah, peak ones are good. Um, the peak and the uh, mountain houses are pretty expensive, but the wise ones, not as good as quality, but they're cheaper. Are they? Oh yeah. That's good to know. Life pro tip. <laughs> But you and I are both yawning and it is midnight 30 right now. I know, man. It's crazy. So, well, Mac, uh, at the end of the show, I always give the opportunity for you to give a shout out to some homies, heroes, mentors. And uh, yeah, who do you got for us? Oh, fuck. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of people I've ran into over the years that I appreciate. And I'm probably going to forget so many people. Um, I've made... So many good friends. I've had a lot of mentors. Uh, 
I'll start by saying somebody that I was actually talking to about this podcast was Stu, Stuart Pally, the photographer, my good friend. Uh, love that guy so much. He's a great dude. Yeah, he's um, supposed to come up here and record another episode. He should. He's I, such I hope a you're good listening dude. to this. I hope you listen to this too. Oh, he's going to, because I told him I was doing it. And I was like, you better fucking listen. Uh, such a good, nice guy. Um, quality content on fires. He's always shedding light on situations. He's always out capturing good stuff. Like he's just, just awesome dude. Uh, he also helped me get in with Nick's cause I work with Nick's boots. So, um, Stu was kind of the gateway for that for sure. Um, as far as like mentors and good captains and stuff I've had, uh, you know, I, one of my captains, uh, Nick Sandal, when I was on Hell Attack was just super awesome. Always there for me even before I was on Hell Attack. And we still have a good relationship to this day. And he always believed in me and always wanted me up there and stuff. And I just all, you know, I just, I really appreciate that looking back. Um, same thing with Ed Smith. He was kind of the one that I talked about earlier being like, didn't treat me differently from anybody else. Um, and I super respect him for that. Um, who else? I'm trying to think. I have a lot of good, good people I've came into contact with over the years. Um, in Reading, I've had some good, good captains. Uh, Justin Smith was my probationary captain and he made sure I got through everything, uh, pretty well off and he took good care of me. Very, very smart, too smart, made me feel stupid more times than none but such a good dude and cared and uh, made sure I did well and cared about me enough to take me under his wing when a lot of other people didn't want to. So that was super cool. Um, but yeah, as far as that, I think, like I said, I'm going to forget so many people, but I just, I'm very lucky to have so many good friends and contacts through like the years that I've been doing this. So. Oh yeah. It's been awesome. Yeah. It sounds like I've been in a pretty wild ride for you. So it has, and yeah. we have so many more years to go too. So, <laughs> but, uh, as far as where we can find you on the old interwebs, where can we find you like your socials and stuff like that? Uh, so my main Instagram is Kenzie cakes, K E N Z I E cakes with three S's. <laughs> uh, and then I also have my cooking page, which is Kenzie cakes kitchen. Uh, and I have a Facebook. I don't really go on it, but other than that, that's all I have. Um, I pretty much do everything off of Instagram and my cooking page. Uh, I post recipes and my meals and stuff. And then I also offer like, uh, macros and nutrition and things like that. So that's on there. And then if you go on my regular page, it's mostly photos of my dog and my motorcycle. And so <laughs> that's always fun to look at. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. So that's me. Right on. Well, if you want to find out more, go over to the old socials, find out Mackenzie over here, get some good food and motorcycles and puppies. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good mix. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and uh, hopefully uh, uh, everything that was talked about tonight. I mean, hopefully a lot of people can find some inspiration about that and like pursuing their passions and, you know, doing the work as well to get themselves to that point to where they want to be. So thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Most definitely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> right on everybody. Take care. 
And boom. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with my good friend, Mackenzie Gould. Mackenzie, thank you so much for being on the show. That was actually pretty cool. I think it's going to inspire a lot of women out there. And uh, it's a very unique uh, perspective on being a woman in fire. And it's also kind of inspiring in the fact that you've accomplished so much in so little time. That is freaking awesome. I know your experience is kind of unique and it's not a one size fits all for the rest of the folks out there, but a lot of lessons can be learned and uh, taking those opportunities when they arise and following your passion is definitely pretty cool. And yeah, well, I can't thank you enough. That was awesome. So we'll hopefully get you on the show again. As for the rest of you, I hope you're doing well and I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're getting some reprieve before the season pops off again or has its it's a little other peak. Yeah, stuff's getting, uh, it's kind of like a lull in this season, a lull in the action, but don't get complacent. So it's going to pop off soon again. I hope everybody's doing well and special shout out to our sponsors. We've got Mystery Ranch built for the mission. Go over to www.mysteryranch.com to check out those two packs that I always mention on this show. They're pretty awesome. We've got Hotshot Brewery, purveyors of the kick-ass coffee for kick-ass causes. A portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. And if you want to find out more, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out. We've got the Ass Movement, one of my buddies over there and uh, booze. He is spreading the good word about burying your turds. So go over to www.thefirewild.com and check it out. And last but not least, we've got the AWE. Bethany, I love your passion project that you've been working on, especially with the Smoky Generation. And thank you so much for giving back to the community. And thank you for granting me the honor of the Impact Award for 2022. I definitely appreciate it. And I am stoked for everybody out there that won one of the uh, Smoky Generation grants this year. So Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. Y'all know the drill. Stay safe, stay savage. Peace.